guys okay you could just restart <laughs> back and this wing this week we are the corporate shill crew express um <laughs> because we are joined by a very special guest um joseph montecilio joseph how are you doing tonight hello i am state media <laughs> yes and i debuted uh or i made my triumphant return to roh i was actually yes. live there roh getting dutch at supercard of honor yeah people were all over that quentin how are you doing tonight <laughs> It feels good to to be the only non-co-opted person here. <laughs> yes, I uh, I scheduled this, and then today I was like, oh yeah, I scheduled this to ha during WrestleMania, uh, and I was like, I don't think either of you guys care. Like, you're not gonna watch it, right? You don't. You're not gonna be watching WrestleMania live or giving a shit or anything. Um, I definitely was not going to be, you know. So, uh, I was like, oh, I thought about that, and I was like, oh, I guess not, but. Joseph, you are trying to to catch it out of your left eye or something, right? While it's going on right now. Yeah, pretty much. You know, Logan Paul is on, so I have no feelings. <laughs> Fair. Um, I did. You know, I, obviously it's the big news, so everyone's talking about it. I did hear that uh, Austin Theory was able to to beat John Cena, and I think you could say it kind of makes sense because I heard that John Cena was accompanied to the ring uh, by a bunch of Make a Wish children. And uh, young underage children are Austin Theory's uh, spinach. So it gave him superpowers being around so many kids. And that powered him up to beat John Cena. And they should have seen that coming. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. Did Quentin drop out? That joke was, uh, was unacceptable, I think. Too powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Too powerful. We lost him. We lost him. Oh, no. Hopefully uh, we get Quentin back here in a bit. But uh, Joseph. Yeah, big ROH video. You mentioned it. State media, all this. I heard you getting a shout out on uh, Post Wrestling today when they did their review of uh, of the ROH Supercard of Honor show. Oh, they uh, your I didn't, video. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Thank you to the Post Wrestling crew. All right. Um, fuck it. I mean, I might as well. That major power outage in between there, so I could have seamlessly tried to transition and just start over. But we'll just uh, we'll get back here, Quentin. Or ah, Quentin. Yes. Um, I think you said you were doing okay. Everything's good. I was talking to Joseph about the ROH video that you made and that it got some praise. I even heard on uh, post wrestling they counted they shouted you out by name, kind of, in that they said your name wrong. But you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. I know. I know. I, I always take pride in being the you know able to get it right the first time. Um, it does help where I grew up and where I live that I actually know how to say your name. But uh, I still say your name wrong. When I'm shouting you out <laughs> in the credits. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I hope it never changes. But um, <laughs> you don't do that every time, right? That's like a pre-recorded. You just play the same one, right? Or do you? No, because the the 
one-time supporters change and people get added. So I record it the same every time. You do know you could just just re-record the new stuff and use the old stuff the same, right? No, never. <laughs> oh, impossible. Not a chance. No, um, this is a Qu ridiculous idea. <laughs> Quentin, did you watch Joseph's uh, promo video for Kingston versus Claudia? So I like wrote. I, <laughs> I got to the main event of Supercard of Honor, and I was, uh -huh. I was like, you know what? It would be a good time to pause this and watch the video, right? But I right. was casting the uh, the video from my computer to my xbox and i my xbox controller was a few feet away from me so in like a bout of supreme laziness because i couldn't get up i couldn't be bothered to get up and pause and pause the file i did not stop it and therefore did not watch the video i support uh, this level of laziness to be fine. fair i have to give joseph credit because i don't know if it was even in your video but it did end up like on the zero hour and then i saw it multiple times in the building on the big screen but Thanks to them pulling Jakara clips for this, we ended up with Tim Dance on an ROH pay-per-view, which I appreciated. So <laughs> shout out to that. <laughs> oh yeah, he's definitely uh, in the video because he had he he was like such a big part of the finish of the last yeah. match, the one in New York. Yeah. But when I saw the clip and it's like it's I can't remember. I think it's yeah, like it's just him on the on the he's in the front ground on the entrance what ramp. And it's like such a particular shot where he's in there where I'm like, you had to like yeah. pick that out because you could have gotten a shot where he was not there, you know, but he's, he's like there, so. fully mugging for the camera. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, look at Claudio. Claudio's yeah, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But uh, but yeah, the video rocked, obviously. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about anything about it, like putting it together or or the process or anything at all. I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, yours, sure. I guess. Like there was no like NDA I can talk about <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, pretty much what I want about it. Um, it was Eddie's idea. Um, oh, oh he... duh. Why did that not cross my mind? Duh, of course. Anyways. Apparently, he pitched it straight to Tony, and Tony just like gave the go-ahead. Um, I was contacted by someone at AEW's online digital team, and we were basically communicating back and forth, getting it done. And I always ask them, I, I ask stuff like, is there stuff I can't show or can't say? And for the most part, it was basically just, you know, just keep it in, keep it within like the context of the story. Uh, don't do like reviewer stuff, like just basically recap it and you're good to go. And there were like no major changes really. Um, they had to like change the font I used to like be consistent with some brand guidelines or whatever, and that's about it. They basically just let me go. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That's pretty sick. Doing it, yeah. yeah. It came out um, good. I think. It, I think it added a lot to the match. I hope so, because uh, um, yeah. I guess we'll talk about it more later. But I, yeah, I feel yeah. like there wasn't a lot in the build itself, like what they had on TV to kind of chew on, and I think they needed a little more. Uh, backdrop to get that across right because they did do like a sit down you know promo kind of thing battle between them but nothing really you know that felt like it had a ton of substance it was yeah, good yeah. it had some good lines Go yeah ahead. so like was that sit down between claudio and kingston was it in the countdown to supercard of honor uh video on the ring of honor youtube channel wait where was it because i went to go look for it and i could not find it uh, like officially uploaded anywhere 
It's definitely on the Honor Club broadcast from like two weeks ago, and they also posted it on Twitter, not on YouTube. Okay, all right, yeah. Like, so I went on YouTube and I like I couldn't find it there, but Twitter, like, yeah, they don't guess really it's fine, but still, like, they don't upload stuff to the YouTube. Actually, they don't do like highlights like they do for the AEW channel. So I don't know what's going on there, but it's mostly like just been on Honor Club and Twitter. That's a little. That's a little frustrating. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like, and then I guess that goes to the point of like, and that's like a larger ROH issue, I guess. But that's really frustrating that Claudio and Kingston is your main event for this whole thing, and you couldn't even be bothered to upload the the to sit down on YouTube. This seems like the most basic, simple thing to do. Right. Right. Yeah, um, I wish they did. Like, it, it would be so much easier to keep up. And, like, I think there there's clearly a market for it. Like, people would be commenting stuff like, uh, where where are the highlights, you know, or stuff like that. And I, I, I mean, I feel like how quick, like, how many, how many views that video garnered so quickly is proof of that there is a market for that. Because your video, like, got, got a lot of views in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much. And, um... I like I don't know I didn't I didn't expect it to do that well like I know that obviously ROH has more of like a promoting machine behind it than I do on my own but like I'd done stuff for them previously and it didn't like blow up yeah, that, yeah that's that's what I'm saying like other stuff that you did that you've done that you've done for ROH like it did well but it didn't do those numbers quite as quickly so I think it, I think it shows that maybe like even uh, they maybe even kind of underestimated like the interest in the Eddie and Claudio story. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. Like, I it's sort of like Tony's on record where he's saying that like, uh, ROH is where he doesn't worry about the numbers. I guess like he specifically books it because he doesn't have to worry about Nielsen ratings or whatever. And I think part of that is like sort of forgetting that you can still draw numbers with it if you put a little into it yeah this is you're just getting some of that side stream like this is oh god it really sucks to even say this this is like a uh, a billionaire's play toy and he doesn't even realize how big of an impact it can have um but hey at least he's like doing something positive he's not like uh doing what some billionaires do which is like affect <laughs> public school uh, legislation or vaccine laws um, he's just messing around in pro wrestling, or grow, um, or or grow mustaches. So then, yeah. Or, or so so wrestle wrestling publications can laugh and have fun. Like, oh look, this sexual predator has a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but enough about Dunkzilla. Um... <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, all right, man. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, I was going to mention because you kind of talked about like not really thinking about how much intrigue there was with the Claudio and Eddie match and, and that people wanted to see the history. I kind of feel, and I was going to have us do blood sport first, but at this point it's like, I might as well talk about ROH Um, for the big picture kind of overall feeling. I kind of felt like this was the weakest of the Tony Khan ROH pay-per-view so far. And it felt in a lot of ways, like what a lot of people are saying, Oh, it's like bad booking, wrong finishes and all this feels in a lot of ways. Like this was meant to be a stasis pay-per-view. And I think the idea of Tony doesn't like piggybacking off of WrestleMania might be part of that logic. Like, I think that this was booked 
as a placeholder show that's like a I got to do this thing because everyone you know expects it now but he's not really into it I don't think that Tony likes running a Wrestlemania show and I think that he didn't really give us a ton on this when it came to like development and payoff that people wanted and it's more like this is a setup show to the show that he's actually going to care about what do you guys think about like that and and your thoughts on the pay-per-view overall as well I I think that there's credence to that because of how the finish to the main event went. And I guess because I have to say what I have to say there, maybe we can lead off with it. But like, I think because the finish to the main event isn't as like decisive as you might expect going either, going either direction. I think there's credence there because you get there and like Claudio, like Eddie gets this whole big fighting spirit thing. And Claudio puts him down with another uppercut and, he, and Eddie kicks out of that. And, Claudio then gets him gets gets him in a pin combination and almost banana peels his way into a vic into a victory, and it's not really super satisfying or definite or definitive, and I think because of that that I'm leaning more towards the side of Tony Khan feeling that way about WrestleMania weekend shows because that is definitely not a finish. Where it feels where it feels like the story there is completely done, and part of me is skeptical because it's like it's Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston could just lose and not get his win back and shit like that. Like shit like that can happen, but I don't know. Like Claudio didn't go over in a super strong way, and that does and that does get some credence to the idea that Tony wants to save that for later down the line. I think. Joseph, do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I think Tony genuinely doesn't like doing Mania weekend shows. Like, I think it was just like a matter of schedule that Supercard of Honor is always has always been around Mania weekend, and he's just sort of sticking to that particular tradition. Um, but yeah, watching the show, it's clear that it's putting pieces into place rather than being its own like um, particular entity. So it looks like this is like the show for everyone to sort of invest into what will happen for Death Before Dishonor and then Final Battle after that um, more than it was uh, a, a payoff in its own way. Yeah, I, I just I kind of came out of it really feeling that way, really feeling like like this is a lot of not even just yeah, like it's just a bump in the road and not really like a really getting too much in the way of any kind of payoffs and all that. But you, you know, Quentin, you talked about the main event and we'll kind of go all over the place doing things a little bit weird here. So let's, let's start with the main event. Um, Claudio Castagnoli versus Eddie Kingston. Um, I think I might have a bit of a disagreement from the status quo on this match overall. And especially, I think I, you know, I think I agree with most people on the, on not liking, not enjoying the finish and where they went with it, but I honestly don't think that the match itself really delivered as well as it could have. Um, it had, you know, it had some stuff to it, but it didn't necessarily deliver to me. And I hate to say it because in a lot of ways, I feel like it was, it was Eddie and it was the crowd. I mean, and part of that, I again, hate to say this is it feels like Eddie didn't listen to the crowd as well as he could have. And, and I didn't, I, uh, in the building and I don't know how well it came across Mike'd, um 
But uh, because I heard a lot of people saying the crowd was super dead. And to me, it didn't really feel that way. But in the building, the crowd was 100% behind Eddie from the second he came out until about three quarters through the match, people started to turn on him. But um, before I kind of give give everything about my opinion, uh, Quentin, what did you think about the the main event here? Because you you did kind of mention it and uh, and the finish and the payoff and everything. I mean, yeah, this is, I, I, I was really into it. I enjoyed it. I thought that the work from both of them was 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 really solid. I enjoy the early leg selling from Claudio, the bit where he's doing the giant swing and he and he and he, and he, sell, and he sells his knee. I thought was really great and some of my favorite uh, limb based selling that I've that that I've, that I've seen in a, that I've seen in a long time. And I like the transition to focusing more towards the Eddie having this fire and desire to overcome this obstacle and become a world champion and. Have and fi- finally overcome Claudio. I I enjoyed the transition into that part, part uh, stage of the match. So mechanically and story wise, it resonated for me just fine. So like I really wasn't hearing the turning on Eddie stuff as much. Like I guess or I guess it wasn't registering to my ears that that was a thing that could have possibly been happening. As it, it just felt like we were in the typical uh, Eddie fighting uphill mode. And those bits that we got with the near falls, with the bet, with the back fist and things like that, were big were, were things that felt like big moments coming across, coming across on screen. So I really, I really enjoyed it. It's I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I still have to make my way through some stuff, but it still might be my favorite match of Mania weekend. Honestly, I really enjoyed it a lot. So it's interesting to hear that, like, it, for I guess live for you that didn't translate like that. Well, like I said, maybe in a vacuum, if you couldn't hear the crowd as much, it's a little bit better. But I mean, one of my biggest issues you mentioned the the leg selling, and I thought Claudio did a fantastic job selling the leg. But my issue with it was like Eddie goes after the knee early, stomps on it a couple times, hits him, and then that's it. And then after that, Claudio does more to work over his own knee than Eddie does. Eddie just completely drops the plot and doesn't go after the knee again after the opening salvo with a couple stomps. And then from there, it's Claudio doing dives, doing double stomps, and always selling it and repeatedly going back to selling the knee. That's fair. That's so, fair. That's, that, that absolutely happens. Like, yeah, I feel like it really is a testament to how good Claudio was in this match because you're 100% right that Eddie, nothing about Eddie changed there when... Maybe that was purposeful. Like maybe you didn't want to kind of like risk baby facing Claudio or putting Claudio in a baby, in a baby, baby face position like that. Sure. I don't know. But like, I also trust them as wrestlers to like balance that line and not go too far in a way that makes Claudio seem sympathetic. But that's, that's, that's totally fair that Eddie did not work over the leg as much as you would think for how much of a focus the leg was early on. Yeah. And and I get what you're saying about worrying about babyface and Claudio, but like I said, in the building, uh, what they did ended up kind of turning the crowd on on Eddie, so it didn't really make a difference in that regard. Like, like I said, I mean, there was a vocal section of the crowd that was chanting "fuck you, Eddie," <laughs> like, and then it turned into a dueling chant between "let's go, Eddie" and "fuck you, Eddie," and it was loud. And that's why I'm like, I guess they cut it off the broadcast, or they people were saying the crowd seemed dead all night, so maybe the crowd was just not mic'd well the entire night. Maybe no, part no, of it that, was that... that particular dueling chant did come through. It did okay, come so through. that did come through. 
Okay, because yeah. I was like, okay, people are saying it's. I mean, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame ROH if they did not mic the crowd well because from early on, even before the show, there's a guy you can see from hard cam across the way wearing a Boston Celtics jersey, and there was a section of the crowd that repeatedly just kept chanting "fuck Boston" at that guy over and over again whenever they were bored. So I could see that maybe ROH turned down the crowd micing so they weren't picking that up all the time because they were doing that shit way too much. Like it was it was really, really fucking embarrassing, if I'm perfectly honest. So I'm not even defending this crowd like the crowd was kind of shitty. But my point is that like Eddie went into oversell mode and got his ass handed to him to the point where the crowd just lost like lost any investment in Eddie or at least a section of the crowd lost investment in Eddie for a section of this match in the middle to where they were saying, fuck you, Eddie. And they were they had turned on him. And then when he came back and then the big fiery comeback and the kick out at one and he was actually like fighting and in it, the crowd exploded for the one count kick out. The crowd lost their fucking mind. Right. So then I was like, OK, he got him back and he closes out the match from there. Hot as fuck. But then he loses. So, you know, what does it matter, really? But yeah, I just that was my biggest issue. And like I said, I want to believe that like, oh, in a vacuum, if you don't if you can't hear that the crowd turns on Eddie, this match is great. But like I said, like. The narrative with the leg thing just it really irked me because like i said it looked like claudio was working over his own knee more than eddie was commentary even had to call it out i mean at one point they're talking about claudio going for a dive and it's like that's not a trademark claudio thing and he fucks up his knee on the dive and and caprice is trying to be like oh you know that's you got to take those big risks and ian even has to like kind of call it out and be like i don't know if that makes any sense and it really doesn't make sense especially when you're talking about claudio who dives and those kind of attacks are not his bread and butter really when it comes to wrestling so why is he going for that kind of stuff with a bum wheel it doesn't really make a ton of sense but that said like claudio's selling was great the comebacks and the and the spots and the stuff here and there in this match was really good i just think that there was like a psychology that was missing and unfortunately i think that like the fact that it that the crowd got a, a stupid crowd full of children were able to like get bored and not tell what was going on like should not necessarily damn the match but it does point out that there was flaws because if you're if you're you know telling the basic story properly and you you should be able to keep these idiots like in, invested enough to where they don't turn on the baby face who's like they were they were there for him the crowd was hot for eddie the second he came out so it wasn't like the crowd wasn't there they lost him they lost the crowd uh, but Joseph, <laughs> after that, what are your thoughts on the match? Um, no, I'm I'm fully in the camp that loved this match. Um, like I think it's probably my favorite match of the year right now. Um, I th I think like a lot of the stuff you brought up, I think it actually fits really well into the narrative and especially because I've been so hyper focused on this pairing uh, for the last two weeks for obvious reasons. And yeah, it all fits. It fits their character dynamics. Like uh, we, you were talking a lot about the legwork on Claudio and how it was dropped. And honestly, that's just in line with Eddie's character and also sort of with his Wait, Now we're going to get into the weeds here. It also sure, is sure. very in line with like his influences like like everyone has said forever it's so on record that eddie loves the pillars he loves all japan and all that stuff and man he's wearing kawada's colors and this was a classic kawada mistake uh, that where you're facing this top champion who's basically unbeatable physical prime peak and you have a weakness on him and you don't exploit it like kawada did that multiple times like Tawe would mess up 
Misawa's arm and Kawada wouldn't work over the arm enough. So Misawa had the strength to basically come back and just like blow um, Kawada into the dirt. And it happens here. Eddie has that opening where he can clearly see Claudio has a bum wheel. And instead, he gets drawn into his pettiness, into his temper. He loses his temper. He starts trying to brawl with Claudio when he should like get his head in the game and go after the leg. And that's what that might have won him the match. I feel like that's a lot of the sort of ideas they're playing with here. Um, Phil Schneider dropped uh, a piece about the match on uh, in the ringer, like basically the day as soon as the show ended. And he had quotes from Eddie from before uh, the match. So apparently he had interviewed Eddie before the match started, and one of the lines was, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to try to out-wrestle Claudio, but I won't be able to help myself. I'm going to try to gouge his eyes out. And that's like literally what happens here. He tries to stay cool. He goes for a bunch of headlocks early on where he is able to control Claudio. He creates an opening that could be strategically advan advantageous with the legwork, but he's just too mad. He's too mad. He gets into his own head. And he starts brawling Claudio, he starts going for the eyes, he's spitting at Claudio, and when Eddie's mad like that, it leaves himself open. Like, Claudio has shown that he can be made vulnerable when he's angry as well, but when he's sort of, like, expecting it, um, there's really no chance for Eddie. And he was, Claudio was expecting it here, and he was able to hit, like, these huge bombs, uh, like, suplexing Ed, like, just deadlifting Eddie okay. out of the ring onto the floor. He's nutty. He's crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, the the Corellan lift, or Corellan throw off of the apron to the floor was that incredible. That was fucking nuts. Incredible. He's yeah. just an absolute monster of Dude, a man. Dude, Claudia, Claudio's 42. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like Cla they never stopped. Cla like, Claudio's a 42-year-old man. Like, just yeah. putting it in perspective, like just living have like they've lived different lives at this point, right? Absolutely. But you look at but you look at say like Samoa Joe and Eddie, and then you look at Claudio. And granted, Claudio is one of like the freakiest, the freak one of the freakiest athlete wrestlers to ever exist in the history of this sport, right? He like he is just an absolute fucking freak of nature. But still, that is a forty-two year old man. It just doesn't make any sense. He has it's... not aged a single day from no. when this feud was last going. Like, he is, like, if anything, he's just better. <laughs> yeah, like, literally, yeah. like, Claudio has not aged since, like, fucking, like, like, fucking 2009, or man. <laughs> he just hasn't aged. Right. No, yeah, he's, he's, he's wild. Um, but, yeah, I really love the match. I know people are disappointed by the result. Um, I, I figured this would be the result. It was definitely too early, just based on what they were doing on TV. It was so like it, it was, it, it was starter stuff, you know. Like Eddie spilled some coffee. He's beating j jobbers in showcase matches. Like this is not, this is not the apex of what they're going to do or could do. Um, I feel like there's more coming, probably. And as far as like just reintroducing the feud to a new generation, a larger audience, I think this is easily like one of the best matches of the year for me. So like, so you're so you're so you're in the camp then, in which like the finish makes it clear that this is something that will like will probably get revisited. 
Yeah, and I think, and again, just to go back to like the narrative of it, like how I read it at least, is that, you know, Eddie made these mistakes and it allowed Claudio to just get way ahead of him. Like, Eddie lost the match after the suplex off the apron. Like, it's over from there and he's just getting his last shots in. But again, the idea is there that if he had just focused, he could have out-wrestled Claudio. He has this great counter to the Ricola bomb where it's not a counter he's done on the Ricola bomb before. Like, usually he'd just sort of slip out of it. This time he hits a head scissors and gets a pin, uh, but he's not strong enough to hold the leverage. And that's how Claudio is able to get the win out in the end because he's just, he's, he hasn't been dropped on the concrete <laughs> repeatedly. Um, yeah. And, you know, Eddie grabs the mic. He says he's still going to go for it. So I, I think there's still more there. Um, in the scrum, a lot of people gave Tony Khan a lot of guff for like, oh, you did like two heartbreaker finishes like back to back. And like basically his only response was, you know, there's there's going to be more. You just got to keep watching. So um, I'm fairly confident there will be more Claudio Eddie stuff because they left so much on the table just in terms of the build. Um as well as in the ring. Like, there's still places they can go from here. Like, I think it's pretty notable that Claudio didn't hit the Ricola bomb. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, and just in general, like, you know, like, there's just so much money in Claudio and Eddie, just, they could, like, that could carry Ring of Honor, like, at least through, like, half of the year. Just, in, like, just with those, with those two in, like, escalating circumstances, if you want to have another match between them just in a regular rules capacity, if you want to have them in a gimmick match, like, there's so many things that you could do with Claudio and Eddie that like Tony would be a fool to like not revisit that when you have two of the best wrestlers ever there and you could work with them for the whole year really on that brand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's going to happen. I would dare to say they could run it till final battle. That's sort of always the idea I've had uh, just because Eddie always talks about homicide and how much that lineage means to him. So I think, I think if they're gonna do the title switch, it'll likely be at final battle. Right. So kind of like a back burner thing. You know, we, we, there was a Shibata interaction at the end. There, you could do other stuff, but eventually, working our ways back to Eddie and Claudio. For sure, that's how I see it, at least. Well, and if, and if you know. Tony does want to be as much of a historian and doing stuff that mirrors ROH. Like that finish and that setup was almost textbook ROH where they would have big major shows where the main event would have the champions in it, but in a tag team match with no title on the line, especially doing it with Japanese legends in the match or, you know, one Japanese legend in the match. So something like Eddie and Shibata versus Yuta and Claudio would not be out of place in, you know, golden era ROH main event, really like that kind of match. That stuff happened. Like Masala comes in right in a tag team match, right? You know, Kobashi does a tag team match. Like they do stuff like that, even with the champion in the match. So um, I can definitely see that. I think part of it too, that's confusing and we just have to see where they're going. And that's another thing of it too, is like coming into it, expecting one thing. It really felt like, okay, BCC is getting written out of ROH. And they're just going to be gone from here because the turn on Dynamite and what's moving forward there makes sense for them to be more focused in AEW and to really actually separate these rosters a bit more. Feels like that's the move. Um, 
And that's always hanging over the head of this stuff right now is that like we don't know what is ROH versus AEW. What does this mean? You know, Tony owns ROH, but you know, his family and the company own AEW. It's like a separate entity as far as everything is concerned, technically, and all that. So it does. And I'm not saying that that's part of like why I don't like the match or don't like the finish or whatever is, oh, because, you know, it, it's confusing and I don't like it because I, you know, expected something else based on what's going on. But it does leave everything open ended to where it's kind of tough to to predict. And what you're saying makes sense. And one thing that you kind of mentioned there, uh, Joseph, and, and built up and and I don't think um, you even necessarily said, but it was mentioned in the sit down interview between Claudio and, and Kingston that I think is also part of the narrative of the match, which does make sense, is um that Claudio just directly called out Kingston for the fact that he doesn't have, he lacks focus. And that showed here, not just the, like he sees red and that's why he can't, you know, stay on it. But that like the reason why his career has gone the way that it is, is because he never focused and worked hard. He has no discipline. Yeah. No discipline. And this match kind of showed that, that he didn't have that discipline and didn't have that focus even in this setting. But again, I mean, it felt like that was the through line. That was the story it would make sense. But then my biggest irksome thing is why did Claudio wrestle a match? Like he was expecting his leg to continue to get worked on. Um, and then there was just no follow through there. If his knee gets attacked and he sells it. Sure. That's fine. But then he continues to do big dives and do big spots that intentionally tweak the knee repeatedly. And then never, I guess maybe to my mind, it just feels sloppy. And to their mind, it was trying to hold the fans hands through the story of look at this clear, obvious injury and Eddie is just missing it, right? Like, and that could definitely be the thought there, but I think it was just too heavy handed for me personally. Um, and that would be just kind of like why I'm like, okay, this is like, you're you're taking this too far and now it's just becoming like almost like a, a joke. And as I said, I think it does, it's part of what turns the crowd off. The crowd wanted Eddie, they love him, but then it's like, not only is this guy getting his ass kicked, not only does he come across like a loser, but he's coming across like he's too stupid to see when he's got an obvious opening and he just doesn't take it. Now, the thing about Eddie that's great is the crowd loves him. Like I said, he wins them back. He can always cut a promo and tell this story and you can continue to move on. And the first thing that crossed my mind, you said, we build this to final battle. You know what's the thing is you get Eddie. And if 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 Tony does want to pay homage to ROH, Eddie wins some version, some new version of survival of the fittest to get a championship match at final battle. And then that's perfect. Cause even in the stupid name, it's like survival of the fittest. It shows that Eddie has finally made it to the top and he's the fittest that he can be as a wrestler, blah, 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 whatever. Like that's the, that's kind of a, a good story there, I think. And cause that's like the best thing that I can think of that ROH has as like a, you know, a tournament or a, um, uh, an achievement that you can get historically. There's not really anything else. ROH was not known for having big tournaments or anything like that, except for, I guess the, the best of the American super juniors, but I don't think Eddie could make it for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Either way, um, moving on. um, I was thinking it's just starting from the top now that we've got the main event, but what do you guys think? I think think we're fine struggling back to the beginning. Okay. Did uh Quentin, did you catch any of the zero hour? Uh of course not. Of course. Uh Cobb Williams was good, if not too quick. Takeshita Willie Mac was really fun and it was nice to see. Um sorry, Joseph, I'm like steamrolling through this. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of these matches that you actually wanted to talk about. No, yeah, they were pretty much fine. I think my favorite one would 
just be uh, the Slim J Stu Grayson match. I thought I thought sure. that was like the best of the bunch, but uh, nothing, nothing crazy on this uh, undercard here. Pretty sure that was probably the best overall match. But I would say that Willow was the best performer um, on the pre-show. Um, whenever she was in control, she looked great and was showing some toughness and a mean streak and violent, and the crowd loved her. And I think perfect setup. Continuing as everyone just keeps predicting, I will not buck the trend. Perfect setup for for someone like Willow to take on Athena when you show her like this in the pre-show, right? Um, one note coming out of this, I guess uh, Fightful reported, because there was the report Will Ospreay was supposed to be on this show. He got replaced by Tanahashi, but only like in the sense that he was the talent replaced, but not necessarily in the match. The report from Fightful is the plan was Osprey versus Takeshita would have been on the on the main pay-per-view. That's um, a that's a pretty big thing that they would have given away with very little build. I do it's wonder not like Takeshita yeah. showed up at the at the weekend tapings either, like the shimmer style block tapings they did. Yeah, so it is it's interesting to wonder if that's true or if that's just a, a weird report coming out of Fightful. Um or if that's even Tony just throwing that out there to get people excited for something that was never going to happen or if it was just real. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, don't I personally it. wouldn't be shocked if it was real because sure. um, like just as far as we've seen with Tony Khan's ROH, um, he's not above just dropping these big matches out of nowhere. Uh, like even like even the double dog collar with FTR and the Briscoes that everyone went gaga for rightfully so. Um, that was off of like one TV segment, one week of build. So he just throws these out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Quentin, you have any thoughts on that uh, that little report, that little news nugget there? Yeah, putting putting that on a zero hour would be kind of fucking. <laughs> I don't know if that would have been on the zero hour. That might have been in the place of uh, Tanahashi versus Garcia. I was about to say that was on the zero hour. It'd be like. Uh... I'm not sure about that one, pal. That's kind of like yeah. a lot that you're giving away there. But no, I, w- I would love to see that. That's that's definitely a match I would like to see happen this year. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because there is the DDT versus New Japan dynamic of it. But, you know, it seems like Tony can make anything work at this point. Um, open up the main show. El Hijo de Vikingo versus Commander. Um, these guys had just wrestled a three-way involving Taurus like the night before, the day before. Um, and they turn around here and have this. Um, I'll throw it to you guys for kind of your thoughts on it. But one thing that did cross my mind is I've always been in that camp of like, you want the two different sizes. You want the base. You want the big man versus the flyer, blah, blah, blah. But one thing that I kind of realized watching this match and just in general kind of coming out of it and in, in, is like having a base, having that that situation, it definitely can help and is a good thing. But it, the style of high flying, even for luchadors, has changed so much to where it's not really as necessary as like my in-train thought process makes it seem. These guys, the way that they fly, they just like run and do weird shit and then land on each other. So you don't really need a base. You just need someone there to catch you or basically just someone to fall on. Um, It's not like like Rey Mysterio. I was thinking about Rey Mysterio because there keeps being the comparison of Rey Mysterio and Vikingo. Or, or you think about like tons of luchadors historically who are doing more, you know, like Total World, Head Scissor, whatever, like kind of around the world, different like spots like that or, or you know, different 
kind of those style flying head scissors, things like that, where you really need someone who's going to be a base to catch you while you do these miraculous spinning. But when all you're doing is running across the top rope and then doing a, like a three quarter turn flip off the top, you don't really need a guy who can carry you. You just need a guy who's there for you to land on. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, like that talking point is kind of dead. And the fact that people are going to continue to say it forever is just another one of these, like, I guess like it's a cornet thing, right? You just continuously repeat the same slogan ad nauseum forever without ever like updating the way your brain works but uh either way joseph what did you think of a uh, commander and and el hijo de vikingo uh there is the very deeply ingrained nerd part of me that wants there to be a little more connective tissue between the spots um just a little space to breathe but that can only go so far because the fireworks are they're really dazzling when these two are involved, and especially with ROH production in front of a crowd that hasn't seen a lot of this stuff before. It, it pops much bigger. Triple um, A stuff is a real challenge for me. Just I can never hear the crowd. Commentaries mixed weird with the sound. Uh, but yeah, like the rope walk, the rope walk dive that Commander did, where he just got like amazing elevation off of it um vikingo doing his like imploding 630 or whatever it was like to the outside yeah yeah just a lot of cool stuff in this match i wouldn't say it made for a great match but it's like it's what you want out of an opener where it's just basically wrestling eye candy um and the crowd like completely woke up for it uh too so it's it functioned exactly as wanted and i thought it was pretty good yeah i thought it was it was again fantastic for that um like you talked about the 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 rope walking stuff one thing that i will say and part of it is probably the big ring right in the big setup um which is you know not necessarily even to say that that's out of the usual because you're talking about triple a triple a i'll try to say it the, the correct way instead of doing it the gringo way um but uh you know, that is kind of the setup there, too. And, and even the camera work there is worse. But one thing that I did notice um, in the building, as you talk about no connective tissue, it's like the the setup stuff in a big building with a big ring like this um, is just even more glaring. I mean, when commander in a scramble and there's other stuff going on, sure, whatever. But like one on one, when commander has to, like, go from one side of this gigantic ring all the way around to the other side to set up doing this rope walk against the guy that he was just right next to. It's kind of like, okay, well, what are you getting out of doing this rope walk? Right? <laughs> like what's the benefit there when you could have just climbed up on top of the closest corner and jumped on him the same. Right. Um, but as you talked about, I guess there is an argument to say, well, he does the rope walk and then he gets this incredible air and you wouldn't necessarily get the same level of height and the distance and velocity and all this off of the dive. If you just did it, from the standing spot or whatever you know like and again when you're watching it on tv the cameras cut and show you a certain way where you don't watch that he had to take this you know 20 foot walk around the ring and all that stuff so so um definitely i would say hurt a little bit by being able to see it and we'll have a, a different opinion on a spectacle style match following this but yeah i mean there's people who are they're gonna say this is like match of the night match of the weekend you know kind of level stuff and and in a certain way, I cannot blame you, right? Because it's fucking nutty. 
And I agree. I agree with you that I would like some more connective tissue and, and the story, but the story of the match is these guys are doing crazy spots. Like that's as stupid as that sounds. That's like the story. And they do do a couple counters like there. And there is some like kind of unique stuff that happens with, with, uh, with uh, Elio David Kingo kind of catching him up as he's starting to do the rope walk and then, and transitioning a rope walk into a, uh, a destroyer off the top rope, which is just fucking crazy. You know, like that spot was incredible. Just insane. I could not fucking believe it. The card thing. I don't, I didn't not necessarily get it. Was it, what is it? The hidden, hidden ace or yeah. Hidden ace. Whatever that was. Did not necessarily get that one. Um, what was going on there? There was also a point where Commander hit a big crazy dive, and then he did a salute to the camera. And I, I that was the first time it had ever crossed my mind where I was like, "Is the Commander name supposed to be like, like literal? Like he's got some kind of like rank in the military? <laughs> is that why he's doing a salute? Like is he a Commander in that way, or is it just kind of a playoff of that? I never thought about that. And then the hidden ace was definitely a. Uh, a weird uh a weird spot from that but uh either way um i think we've kind of you know uh dr dragged this one out as much as we can trios title match i'm, oh, wait, um, I'm, I'm back i was like well oh, sure. <laughs> i was sure, like but sure. I, well, I was like no this this was just cool as shit man this is like I get that the, the, the like the lack of connective tissue for people that like that like us that like want things like that in wrestling make it make it hard to get into stuff like this. But at the end of the day, like I think there's always gonna be room for like just shit that you don't see in a wrestling ring. And I do find and, and I do find enjoyment in looking at like at so at some point we get numb to like high flying wrestling, right? To acrobatic wrestling and like it gets to a point where like you can even watch Ricochet and be like, man, like that's really cool, but like I've watched Ricochet do that for like 10 years. And you kind of get numb to it, and you're kind of like, well, how can someone take this form of wrestling and make it even crazier? And like I feel like Commander and, and Vikingo do that, which is why like I'm so interested in, the, in those two squaring off. Because for one, like the matchup is a really fresh pairing. If you, if you go through cage match, it's not like these guys encounter each other very often. They had one other singles match, and that was in that was in that was in that was in Triple A. Like, I feel like two years ago, maybe. Yeah, not, it was like, MCU. <laughs> it was like an MCU match. Yeah, like yeah, like they yeah, like they don't encounter each other very often. And like, I watched this match, and I see like, oh, like this could be like the next like kind of like lucha touring match that like takes that 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 sixty nine six Indies by storm, because there's people like it's not just many people that can do what they do. In terms of like having the acrobatic levels necessary to do like stuff like the shooting star presses at four fifties, but when you add in the rope walking aspect, then like the high the high level difficulty of jumping off of a corner post on like onto the top rope and then do and then doing a move off of that, people just don't do that shit. And I'm just in constant awe watching and watching them do it because it's just not regular. Like we can go for the lack of whatever substance that you may may, may want to say, like, it's just like what he does is not normal in a wrestling ring. And I, so I love this. I love this for what it was and for the spectacle that it was, because like, 
these two should get applauded for the fact that no one in the world can do this type of stuff other than them. Yeah, and and that is the correct way to look at it. And there is like the thing that I've heard in the past where people have like kind of said that part of Lucha's part of Lucha's like inherent psychology is machismo. And when you've got the two, you know, most innovative, insane high flyers on the planet, a big part of the story, as I said, the story is, you know, that they're doing cool shit. The story is that they're both trying to prove that they can do more cool shit than the other guy while also, you know, technically trying to win a wrestling match. You know, so it is like that is part of the story. And you can say like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do X, Y, Z? And it's like, well, because they could you could say, oh, yeah, these guys could just beat each other up. Commander trained with um, Bandito and Bandito has shown that he can do like some, you know, a little bit of Yave and a little bit of like power spots and all these things. And Commander could probably do some of that stuff, too. But like, that's not going to be the coolest thing in the world. Like, that's just going to be him beating a guy up and doing a wrestling match. He's in this match specifically trying to show that he can do more cool shit than Vikingo. Um, so, like, that's part of the story. Either way, um, Trio's title match. I don't got a ton to say about this, except for, like, the standout things to me is, like, it's fucking the whole, like, oh, is Brian Cage leaving? Is his contract over? This and that. I don't give a fuck. And I am so ready for the Gates of Agony to just be a tag team without this fucker. Like, really. like, And that's not even to say that he's bad or anything, right? Like, he's fine in this match. He does some cool spots. But if you ask me, both members of the Gates of Agony, Teo Leona and Khan, um, are much more interesting and wrestlers that I want to see doing stuff. I don't really give a fuck about seeing Cage at all. So, like, if he wants to leave and there's contract, whatever, like... I just don't care. I would rather just see them as a tag team. I don't need this guy here. And then the other thing that stood out to me is Blake Christian, like almost good in ROH comparatively to anywhere else. Like really like not doing a ton of stupid shit, hitting a couple just basic spots here, being with like two other decent wrestlers, good wrestlers basically. And just being like the third man in the group, like looks way better than he's ever looked getting over pushed in GCW. Um, Quentin, what did you think about the trios title match here? Same thing as you really, um, I just can't imagine caring about anything that Brian Cage does post like 2015. And even then I was kind of pushing it. So whatever happens there. And I feel like Tony should have a, um, the, the other guys in the embassy, like they should, like, they should be people that are looked at. And that's probably part of ROH is scouting and looking towards like who you want to put on AEW at some point. But those guys are money and really good and should be getting pushed at some point on, on AEW TV in the next in the, in the next year or two. I think that they there's something worthwhile worthwhile there with them. If you're gonna push the gun if you're gonna push the gun club, then I think that you could absolutely push them. Um easily. But but yeah, this was whatever. Blake Christian doesn't offend me as much anymore. And I think it's because I don't watch Blake Christian singles matches. Yeah, exactly. Joseph, what did you think? I had to take a piss during the last two minutes, and I missed it, and I'm not going back. It looked fine. (laughs) It was fine. Um, Follow this up with, I hate to say it, but probably the match I was the most excited with, and unfortunately, the match that then was the most disappointing. Um, Not to say that it was bad, much like the stuff with the Eddie and Claudio thing. I'm not saying that it's bad. Just saying, kind of disappointed because I expected a ton. Um, 
but uh, yeah, Joseph, what did you think about the ROH women's title match here, Athena versus Yuka Sakazaki? Uh, pretty good. I also was disappointed. I was hoping for much more, especially given the run that Athena's been on. Um, I feel like this is probably like her, the least of her big women's title matches uh, in the year. Um, but yeah, it was pretty all right. Like I still love Athena in control. She's still so brutal and charismatic. And by the time the comeback kicks in, she's bumping huge. Like she throws herself into some like really simple, basic back bumps and she makes it look great. Um, people were speculating that maybe Yuka kind of like just uh, landed weird on her apron dive and maybe she was a step slower. I don't know her work well enough to tell whether she was like noticeably worse than she usually is. Um, but I didn't really get much from her. Um, I wish there was a little more fire from her, but otherwise this was pretty good. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of room for Athena matches to be bad these days. No, no, she's, she's fantastic. But Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, this match wasn't great, but our pal Simon said something about, um, how Athena is, Maybe like the single, like on on an individual level, maybe like one of the most, may, maybe the most watchable person in the world right now. And I still feel like this match continues that because even if this match isn't as great as you might be expecting, and I'll be honest, like as much as I like Athena in a lot of these matches recently, I don't feel like a lot of these haven't been great matches. I feel like Athena has been individually like really awesome in a lot of these, which is an accomplishment within itself. But I don't know. I've, I've learned a lot, the, a, a lot of Athena matches, thinking that it was good, thinking it was a good match, but not being like over the moon about it. And it kind of fits that same bill where Athena had, was really good at entertaining and engaging, and me thinking that the match could hit a different level, but it never does. So I'm not sure if it was like a Yuka thing, if it was like a lack of chemistry, if she did get hurt, like people are speculating, but. I think there is something to be said about Athena having these really great individual performances, which I'm enjoying just as much as anybody else, but at least for me, not always turning into great matches. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where you're coming from on there. Um, I do think it'll be a positive that we get a a rematch of a, a match that I saw live that I thought was actually a very, very good Athena match, which was the... Uh, actually, I don't. I think you reviewed it, actually, with me, the prestige match with... Um, Miyu Yamashita. Um, yeah, and I, and, I remember, and I remember having pretty much like similar thoughts there <laughs> that, sure. I'm, that I'm having now. Yeah, and hopefully the rematch there will deliver on ROH TV so people will kind of see something there. The The thing about the bump and, and Yuka being off is interesting because I, I am somewhat familiar with her. I've watched a good amount of Yuka's matches. And she did not feel particularly off to me from the level that she performs at. But I've also recently heard people saying that, like, she's kind of been working a lot stiffer lately. And I have not seen a ton of, like, super recent work. And that she's even, like, kind of had a transition similar to Athena where she's working a little bit more rough and, and actually bringing it. So, so it, she could have been a bit off. Um, I loved, I absolutely adored the finish. I thought that it was just a great, great little, like bit and they almost kind of fucked it up on the camera re-watching it on video uh it wasn't as good as it was live because you could actually see what athena did with with the uh, mike posey where she grabbed him pushed him in the way uh and and interrupted 
uh, Yuka in the middle of uh, getting up for her, I think she calls it like the magical girl splash or whatever she calls her, um, middle of the rope, uh, uh, 6.30. And, uh, and you didn't really quite see it as well on tape um, to set up then hitting the O-face kind of off the top rope or middle rope or whatever into the ring. I thought that that was great. Um, my biggest issue is just more like the Athena stuff to me that's been really good is the stuff that I kind of compare to the Fit Finley thing. And obviously like using the ring skirt is like a big part of that. And that's the Fit Finley thing, but being more of a badass and a roughneck and coming up with unique ways to kind of do cutoffs and, and again, use the ring environment and the stuff around you to your advantage in a unique way that you don't see other people do as opposed to, and not to say that I don't like it, but the being a loud mouth and mocking her opponent stuff, which I think other people are getting somewhat behind more and feels like she's turning that up here. And she was doing it in a way that I think took it a little bit too far and started to become comical, like doing the little like dancing thing in the middle of the match. That's not what I'm looking for. I love the talking shit, the mocking, all of that. Sure. Um, but what's really been working for me is the rough neck. And like I said, coming up with underhanded little tricks that you don't see anybody else ever do um, is more kind of what I, what I've been enjoying from this run. Um, Follow this up, Samoa Joe versus Mark Briscoe. Um, I mean, just a a really, really great matchup between the two. Um, the drama and the intrigue, all of that stuff with the family around the ring and and just beating the crap out of each other. Fantastic. Felt like a throwback in a lot of ways to early ROH and exactly what she wanted. Um, I can't say, you know, the finish didn't hurt the match in a lot of ways, but yeah, I mean, Joe looked phenomenal. When Joe comes out of nowhere and hits the the uh, elbow suicida, that was just kind of breathtaking and like, you know, and it's a move that he's done forever, but it felt brand new because it just feels like not something that he does all the time anymore. Um, loved Jay teasing the cutthroat driver, uh, just thinking about that, kind of hearkening back. Even as he's doing stuff like going for the Jay driller or whatever, it's like the cutthroat driver was like the original Mark Briscoe kind of finishing move, right? Like after the froggy bow, after everything else. So um, Jay, obviously taking nutty bumps throughout the whole thing, loves to fucking sell like a maniac and look like a freak and just all that. And the match itself is great, but so much of the hoopla and the drama and especially the stuff with Jay around this really kind of, I think it made it. So this was a truly impossible match. And Joe, the great thing about Joe is that he's just, He's Joe. He's unflappable, right? Even with all of that other shit that I just talked about and all the drama and the background and everything else that kind of goes into this matchup, like, he was Joe. There was absolutely no... He did not miss a step. He did never came out of character. Nothing. And even the final bit, like, the, the post-match and the way that he comes up to Jay and gives him respect, it's it was not over the top, but it was deserving and it felt right for Joe. Um... So, yeah, it's just, you know, obviously there's a lot to it and it's almost impossible in a situation like this to deliver something that feels comfortable and feels like good. <laughs> it's just so tough to watch this for me personally and go like this match is in honor of Jay Briscoe. There's really nothing that you can do in a wrestling match that um, makes that make sense. There's just it's just, you know, that's life. Some things in life just, you know don't make sense and and it's hard to deal with and this is just one of those situations but joseph what did you think of the match uh so just to touch on like the sort of emotion coming into it um i don't know if you guys watched the countdown hype video stuff that there was like six minutes of 
uh, Briscoe Joe stuff and uh, Papa Briscoe made a cameo, basically hyping Mark up. It's 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 great stuff. Um, yeah, just to talk about sort of the impact that the Briscoes had on ROH and sort of how much it meant uh, emotionally this match. Like even when you were recapping it, you couldn't stop yourself. Like you kept saying Jay sometimes instead of Mark, and that's how like as a unit they were like they were together. Um, I I was expecting Mark to win. I was hoping he'd win, but even without the big victory, this was just great. Um, the moment when Mark draws strength from the uh, invisible hot tag w- nearly wrecked me while watching it. Uh, and there's just a lot of great stuff. Like Joe was so mean and vicious in this. He hit some like really grotesque lariats and. Uh, some of the bumps that Mark took on his head. I think one thing that I did came come away from really appreciating was how expressive Mark was. Like he's so charismatic throughout this. Like whether he's selling or just kind of like sizing up Joe, he never stops like processing the moment. He's so present, and yeah, I thought this was great, uh, even with the heartbreaker at the end. Yeah, and of course I fucked that up and, and, and called him Jay. Like you said, it's just uh, I guess it's just natural. But um, Quentin, what did you think of uh, of the match and and I guess the the emotion and everything around it, as we've already talked about? So I think that I don't know. Like I want to assume the best here because like obviously his brother is involved in the match and people that like care about Jay care about Jay Briscoe and what he meant to them individually and as people like are all involved here so when i see people saying things like oh like this was uh it made them uncomfortable they felt distasteful like i would think that like i don't know like the guy's brother would probably have a pretty good idea of what jay would or would not be comfortable with and that the guy that interacts with jay's family and jay's children would have a pretty good idea of what they or they would not be comfortable with so like i understand that like when Things like this suck. Like the it was a fucking tragic thing that happened, a awful thing where the ramifications and aftermath of, the, of this are still felt to this day and will be felt for a long time. So like, it's all shitty and not things anyone anyone wants to feel or relive or whatever. But I also feel like that this is what Jay's family genuinely thinks that Jay would be okay with this and like this. So that's a perspective that any anything like involving the use of jay's name and honoring jay in whatever ways they see fit like i feel i i approach it with that perspective that the people involved mark specifically and knowing how much papa briscoe has been involved with stuff like that they're okay that they that they feel okay with this so that's how i feel about all of that and i understand how other people might feel and that's just anything touchy involving death but i think that the people closest to jay like would have have a better idea of how, about of what he would want, how he would feel to the match to the match itself. I thought this was re- I thought this was really good. Uh, something that I was thinking about is I feel like, and I'm thinking of this in like a GWE capacity. So pardon me, but I think about how back in 2016 we would talk about Joe and say, "Yeah, Joe was really good," but and use that for why like Joe was lower. Or not a super not a super high on some people's GWE list, like why Joe would be like in the top fifty to sixty as opposed to Joe being in like the top thirty. 
or thing or things like that. And as I'm watching this, I see I, I was sitting there thinking like, wow, you know, I feel like and I feel like Joe's actually done more to help his case than people have actually given Joe credit for over the last six or seven years. And part of me, and part of me is thinking that like I could really argue that this guy has been a good wrestler or like a very good wrestler. For at least for since at least 2015, 2016, like whatever you want to say, like that that this guy's been a really good wrestler. Not consistent, maybe not super consistently. There's injuries and time off and things like that. But I feel like for the most part, for the last six or seven years, that I've usually enjoyed Samoa Joe whenever I've got to see him wrestle. I feel like he's really gotten to a point where he's adjusted his style and what works for him to the point where like even though he's not doing all the things that you would that you know that Joe was doing back in 2005 or 2006 that it doesn't really matter anymore because Joe's Joe has really mastered what he's good at and what he does well so I thought that was put on display here Mark has quietly been one of the best baby faces in like in the world for a long time in terms of like hot tags and comebacks and things like that and this was on full display here with the crowd with the crowd being so hot it did suck to get to have all of that in Mark still come up on the short end of the stick, but uh, Mark is an ROH lifer, and I do, and I do feel like that at some point we're gonna get like Mark in something, whether that's Mark winning the TV title, uh, whether Mark gets a shot at the ROH World Title and headlines a pay per view, something. I feel like I feel like Mark is going to be a guy where he gets to do a lot in the in the in the next year or so on ROH, which is absolutely deserved because Mark is really really great and for and for a, and for a long time because jay was so great as, as a singles guy like i feel like people didn't give mark credit for how good he can be as, as, a, as a singles guy as well like i felt like mark was always really good on always tv and then and never really got a lot of shine for having consistently great tv matches on our way on our tv back then and i think that mark whenever you put him into a big spot this year Knowing that we're not going to see any more, any more, any more Mark uh, tag matches, I think that he's gonna, I think he's gonna deliver. Uh, so I get it, bitter pill to swallow there in terms of the ending, but I thought this was a really good match. Yeah, and it crossed my mind as you were talking there and and kind of describing things is you know with you being like a better speaker and more intelligent than me as always. Uh, but like kind of what I was grasping for, what I was groping for in the. Uh, in the kind of how I was describing it is like making sense, right? That's the, I think that's the term that people say is like, you can't make sense of death, um, especially such a tragic, you know, early death as what Jay suffered and, and the way that everything happened where it's just so just again, just so nonsensical that like when you're trying to make sense of death, it's impossible. So to try to like add those parameters to a wrestling match in the world of professional wrestling, which is already so farcical in a lot of ways, it's just like, it's not going to work. And if you spend too much time focusing on that and nitpicking it, you're just going, you're just, there's no way to properly enjoy it. And as you talked about, like the people who are closer to the situation, maybe have a better um, understanding of it. And on top of that, as you talked about, like, like Mark doesn't really gain to benefit in any way from this. Like, he's got a job here he's going to get paid what he's going to get paid like he's it's not like you know looking like the von erics or something where like uh you're trying to run a territory and promoting off of the death of one of your kids is going to make you money like mark doesn't really get any benefit from this so whatever he's doing here is 
is truly because he thinks that it's what Jay would have wanted and what his family is, as you said, comfortable with. So, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of part of the whole thing. It was interesting for me in the building because as this match was ending and the way that things were going and the fact that Mark had one of the tag team title belts with him and everything, I thought that they would have done a post-match kind of ceremonial thing where Mark would have hung the, the title. But I, I mean, obviously it would have made a lot more sense if he had won the TV title, I think, because in my head, that was it. He would win the TV title and then he would hang up the tag team titles to then start the ladder match following this. Right. Um, and obviously that's not what happened. Um, but, but we do kick off with this, this ladder match. Um, I mentioned earlier about like the difference between spectacles. Wait, 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 and... sorry, wait, sorry to cut you off. Uh, but when, like, I'm actually kind of curious, like, what do you guys think about, about, about my Samoa Joe thing though? Do you feel like we've got it? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, do you think Joe's gotten to a point where like, he's kind of balanced out whatever like negatives were there from like the later years of the T of the T of the TNA run? Um, like, like, what do you like? What do you guys think? I kind of feel like Joe has kind of gotten underrated in, in 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 some levels, and I feel like this like last like few years has like really helped him, at least for me. I completely agree with you, and I'm sorry for just completely like going over that without mentioning it. Thank you for bringing it back up. Um, yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think that the the fucked up thing is that like he was not necessarily even terrible in the late years of TNA. I think there was a lot of LOL TNA sucks that kind of shaded people's opinion of him as if like it was his fault that the booking was bad. Um, there was a period of time where like, sure, he wasn't in the best shape and, and his performances weren't great, but that was like really short. And ever since, yeah, like the NXT run, even the early TNA stuff that he did, um, the actual main roster run, which I think a ton of people should appreciate because Joe was able to show like that the the Joe character and the legend and the aura was not just a, you know, big fish in a small pond ROH thing. It was like also he was able to do the same level of feeling unbeatable and a dominant uh, fucking force against someone like Brock Lesnar, who other people consider like the top pinnacle of that. Like there's not really a ton of other modern wrestlers at, the, at this period that people see as being as dominant and, and, and as like um, just you know, gigantic, larger than life than, than Brock and Joe was able to be at, ah, fuck, to be at his level. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Joseph, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I've really been enjoying Joe's work in the last year or so, uh, basically, especially since he dropped, uh, since he came to AEW. I think he's shown the sort of self-awareness and thoughtfulness in the ring that you would want from someone who would rank really high in a GWE. Like he clearly understands the things he can do best and how to best apply those. Um, I think it's obviously very fair to say that he's slowed down through the years. Like he's heavier now. He's not, uh, he's not moving as quick as he was, but he's like, also he gets 40, that. He's, he's 44 years old. <laughs> yeah. And like, he gets that and he'd, He's still an ass kicker. He can still beat the shit out of someone. Um, when he's in there with someone like Darby, he can throw them around. And he's also like extremely charismatic and always has been. So he's able to fill in matches with like these moments of emotion and expressiveness. And it all works. Like the TV title is sort of just like a perfect place for him. Um, 
he has that credibility of being tied in to like peak golden age ROH. And he's just been having great matches this past year, like between the Derby feud and now this um, great match with Mark, which I think will probably end up continuing. I'm really looking forward to a lot of what Joe gets to do. And I do think that he's climbing the GWE rankings by continuing to build a strong case. Yeah, and, and you talked about that, and he's slowing down and all this, but as I mentioned, even in this match, like, he does the elbow suicida, and like I said, he doesn't break it out all the time, but he does it here, and it looks, you know, maybe a step or two slower, but in the heat of the moment, it looks just as good as ever and just as vicious. So, so you know, he picks the right moments and hits, a, hits the spots when he needs to. Um, and... One thing that is really impressive with him, and you know, there's kind of the the picking it apart and the people making fun of the like acty acty faces and doing too much Minoru Suzuki, Tim Thatcher, you know, stuff like Joe is very expressive without ever being cartoony and doing too many goofy faces or anything, you know, like, I mean, just really the pinnacle of that. And like, you know, not everybody can just like imitate what he does and do the same thing because, you, you know, he's special because he's one of the few people who does it. But having that that stoic vibe, but also, like you said, very expressive. And and even with just a smirk, you get a thousand words of what's going through Joe's mind in a moment. Um, definitely is huge and, and something that really not a ton of other wrestlers are able to pull off. Um, all right. So <laughs> four-way, six-way, what is it? Uh, Reach for the Sky ladder match for the vacant uh, ROH tag team titles. This is the match where I was talking about the the kind of the spectacle of everything was actually better live um, because there's so much stuff going on and so much wildness around the ring. And these kind of ladder matches feel like they're just so overdone and boring and whatever. But in the building, I really appreciate it because, like I said, I could see so much else going on. You could really get the gravity of, of the the bigness of all the spots and everything that's happening and the forebodingness of constantly being able to see all of the carnage and the 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 toys and the gimmicks that are set up around the ring. Like you just never really lose sight, lose thought, lose the kind of context of what's going on uh, throughout the entire match. Really, really upped it. Um, you know, tons of nutty spots, not a, you know, cohesive, cohesive story, um, but some really, really cool stuff. Top flight looked amazing. Um, obviously insane, fucking just terrible situation with what happened with Dante Dude, um, I was so I was sitting there while I was watching this match and I was waiting, like I heard I hearing about Dante getting injured and hearing about oh such bad luck for top flight, right? So I was like went sitting there waiting, like, okay, what what like what happens here? Is it like like what exactly happens? I and know. Then, and I'm just like, oh my god, his fucking leg. Like, yeah. I just that is not what I expected to be what happened. Like, I don't know what I thought it was, or in my head what I was thinking whenever, like, oh, such bad luck for top flight. It wasn't fucking that. Jeez, like just oh my god, and I love it up. And I actually really love this match too. Like this match is like really fucking great. Uh just wow, that is like when I when when I heard people talking about that, like uh, you know, like oh Dante Martin and bad luck for top flight, that's not what I expected. Yeah. No, In the it's... moment I had missed the break. Like, I didn't see it because it's such a yeah, busy yeah. image on screen, you know? Like, someone's diving off of a ladder through a stack of tables. I just did not see the break. And then people on Twitter started saying, oh, that's not good. Or, oh, there goes his ankle. And when I did go back to watch, uh, it's 
truly disgusting. Um, yeah. And they clearly know that they did not replay the huge spot. Yeah, 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 they didn't. They definitely did not show that spot when talking about. Oh man, this match is so insane. But yeah, definitely did not show that for yeah, it's plenty a, it's of a, good reason. It's a real shame. Um, Top Flight has been one of my favorite tag teams this year. Like they had that really fun program with. Uh, the Blackpool Combat Club that sort of uh, peaked with a tag match on Rampage at the start of the year. And they had that great match with the Young Bucks like soon after. And man, it really looked like they were going to be a focus of ROH TV with this program with the Kingdom. And yeah, it's completely just awful, awful luck for this team. Yeah, it's just, again, terrible, terrible timing. Really, really fucking bad. And, and uh, just... Yeah, what do you? I don't know what. What do you do now at this point? Like these guys have missed so much time; they barely started getting going again, and like this is it. Uh, and yeah, like from the angle that I was at, because I was sitting kind of opposite where the carnage happened, um, and just how quick everything happened, and just seeing it on the screen really quickly, that it looked like the second that he landed. Dante started grabbing his leg and then the the EMTs and the stretches were out there so quick. I like really believed like, oh, that must have been an angle, right? That must have been a planned spot because it just felt so, so fast. Like they wouldn't, you know, like there would be more confusion if it was real in the moment and it wouldn't necessarily be instantly everyone's like knows what's going on and do the right thing or whatever. Um, obviously watching it on replay and seeing how gnarly it looked like clearly that's why like someone uh, was glued to that screen backstage and said nope absolutely not yeah yeah he's yeah. fucked like yeah like no like if if it was a you know just a normal <laughs> normal right if it was just a much just like whatever he tweaked his ankle kind of situation then yeah there would be confusion how bad is it this and that no like the second you saw that you knew how bad it was so that's why everything seemed like it moved so quickly is because it was very clear how bad it was, um, which is just fucking brutal. Um, obviously, kind of an afterthought when it comes to that part of it. But yeah, like the biggest pop of the night, other than maybe Eddie hitting the one count kick out, was the Lucha Brothers coming out. So like they were clearly just the most over act in the company as far man, as this building was concerned. Man, I'm like... I still maintain again. It's been years now, but like I still feel like, dude, like there's so much still with the Lucha Brothers and why they're so valuable to keep around. Is that whenever you give either of those guys a single thing to do, like they're good, they're gonna be right. credible enough to like. I'm not like I feel like they like either of them could be pay per view challengers. Like I really feel like either like oh. either of them could be like they're just so fucking valuable to have on your roster. Yeah, no, of course it's incredible. It it was incredible. I was shocked, dude. I did not. Their music hit, and obviously, like, someone fucking knew because they had them be the last team to come out. Their music hits, they come out, and like I said, it's the biggest, unquestionable biggest pop of the night. Everyone gets out of their fucking seat. Everyone is standing. It was nuts. Like, I was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't think about the Lucha Brothers being that over, but they sure as fuck are. They are, like, the biggest thing. And when they won, the crowd again goes absolutely fucking banana um so yeah it was just clearly the correct choice i just i you know i wouldn't have predicted it it wouldn't have been my choice and i hear people even questioning it being like oh the kingdom should have won this and that like 
whatever. But like, I mean, someone knew, someone fucking knew that the, the, the Lucha Brothers are this over and that they should win. And, and they did. And then the story comes out that like, this was the plan. The Briscoes were going to feud with the Lucha Brothers coming out of this. Um, so that was like kind of part of it. Um, and then obviously FTR comes out here and I don't know. I was really confused in the moment. I guess, I guess when you explain and say like, it's a one year anniversary from the first match or whatever, from the Briscoes and FTR, like, yeah, but I just, it seemed very odd to me that the FTR came out here. Like I just did not get, get why that happened, but either way, like the post-match was, was big. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about any of that? Uh, I, I struggled to focus on the post-match at all because of Dante's sure. uh, injury uh, that sort of took up all the brain space. But honestly, before the injury, I, I also thought this was quite great, like just a big car crash where they're doing like truly nutty stuff. Like in retrospect, no wonder someone... Dude, that fucking, that, fucking, that fucking bump Mark Davis takes... Like oh yeah, through the already they had already bumped on the ladder once, and then he goes yes. back for it. Yeah, that's fucking yeah. wicked. Just like, like why? Yeah. Why are you taking that? And even before that, like Kyle Fletcher just wiping out the commentary table. Yes. Oh my god! Yeah, the the kingdom's signature nutty doomsday device on the floor. Like, and shout out to the kingdom by the way for getting the blade out for this. Like, yes. Not something you typically associate with these big multi-team uh, tag matches, and they were like, "No, you know what? This is this is this is for Jay. This is the belt he held. Someone someone's got to bleed." And uh, well, I appreciated that. The perfect part about it was that they were on the stage, and they were both going to do Jay drillers as a tribute to Jay, right? But they both get countered and hit with pile drivers, and then it's like, "Okay, what's the biggest tribute you can really do for Jay?" And that start to fucking bleed. So they run the razor. It's like yes, they hit the Dre driller. That, 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 that was that was the actual tribute. The actual, tribute, that, exactly. the actual tribute was bleeding. Yes, um, exactly. So I just realized something. Um, and I don't I know if there's I a know what it is. <laughs> no. That so like that we missed a match. I skipped over Tanahashi versus Garcia, and the funny thing about it is that I legitimately think that it's my match of the night, um, <laughs> and I skipped over it. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Both um, aspects of that sentence are yeah, every, every, everything about that was just a <laughs> lot going on <laughs> in the building for sure i felt that way daniel garcia is i think incredible i just think the most just well-rounded all-around best performer that tony khan currently has under contract i think i think it honestly is true and this match just absolutely showed it because he was already one of the best wrestlers on the planet before he showed up in, you know, AEW and the stuff that he's been doing, getting this character out, because that was always like kind of my biggest thing. And not even I wasn't one of these people who's like, oh, you know, Garcia has no personality, no character. No, I liked his promos and stuff. But I thought some of the time that the the way that his character and the character work that he did it, while in ring, not necessarily the promo, because I think he has a ton of charisma and is a really good promo, natural talker, all that. But the in-ring stuff, I always just thought was a little goofy and not the best. But he has gotten so fucking good at working Gaga gimmick character stuff in the context of the wrestling match that it's just fucking crazy. And here's how you can really tell. And maybe if this was five years ago, this would not be the case. Three years ago, whatever. He absolutely outshined Tanahashi here. Like, he just came across, like, 
an insane level star. Obviously, Tanahashi is very good. And as I said, if this was even two, three years ago, Tanahashi, and it wasn't like, you know, flying all the way to California and wrestling two nights back to back, you know, in big matches for Tanahashi at his age, all that um, probably did not help. But Garcia just completely looked at Tanahashi's level, if not better. It was fucking phenomenal, amazing performance. Again, like I said, that's in the building. Watching this stuff back on tape, definitely not the match of the night. But in the moment, in the building, I mean, it was just insanely impressive to me how fucking talented Garcia is. But Quentin, what did you think of this match? I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was a really, uh, I thought like the the Garcia individual performance there was very was very solid. Um, I think that this, I mean, at least for me, like this isn't one where I felt like Tanahashi was like. Coming in here to do a lot, which is understandable. Like he doesn't have to. He already had other things, other things going on this weekend. You know, it's not something that is high on his priority list. Just in general, he's been there, done that for a lot of different things. This is in the middle of the card, so not a lot for Tanahashi to want to sink his teeth into. So uh, I think there's a better version of this match that exists somewhere deep down. If like you know, we had uh, Daniel Garcia in a G1 or some shit like that, but like for right here, during the middle of the card, a super card of honor, I thought this was I thought this was fine in that Garcia came with a very, very good performance because he understood this, uh, he understood the occasion. Like Garcia's going to take the advantage of being across in the ring from Hiroshi Tanahashi, being across from Ryan Danielson, things like that. Garcia's going to take advantage of all of that stuff, and I thought that that was like on full display here that Garcia really did care about this. Yeah, Joseph, what do you think about my my insane opinion there. Uh, not match of the night, but I did like it a lot. Um, I I also agree that it was Garcia who really caught my eye in this particular match. Um, I think the moment I knew it was going to be a really great uh, Daniel Garcia performance was like in the first, in the opening minutes where he's doing that bit where he's pulling Tanahashi's hair to dodge his punches. I thought that was amazing. Like just excellent heel work um and he of course uh adds to it down the line with a lot of the more like overt sort of heel mannerisms taunting and uh imitating shinsuke and all that uh but yeah i i i've been loving what i've been seeing from garcia lately and while it doesn't always result in like the sort of top level like nerd bait matches that I sort of associated with him when he did come up uh, through the indie scene, it always highlights Garcia's ability and his versatility. And there's going to be a point where he's going to be called upon to like put all those tools together. And I'm just like, the sky is the limit for this dude. Like he really can be that damn good down the line. And I can only hope that um, he's able to put it together or is given the opportunity to do so. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, he's already ready for it. It's just about when we get there. I think that obviously giving him this matchup shows that that Tony sees exactly what we see in that Garcia is ready for this. We just continue on with with all this. And that'll be the answer. Like after the after the, you know, Jericho wars, the Jericho derangement syndrome wars are over. Um, and we're done talking about is this guy good or bad for young talent. The the final showing, the final verdict will be Daniel Garcia. And the fact that like 
Daniel Garcia didn't really need Jericho to get to this level, but Jericho was smart enough to connect himself to what was clearly going to be a top level star at some point. Um, and he'll come out of it and be able to point to that and go like, that's look at, I made that guy. I taught him how to be a wrestler, right? I taught him how to be a sports entertainer, whatever. Um, this is a happy accident because of skipping over the match that we do get to talk about this back to back because I, I tweeted this one out, but it's, you know, a trademark Tim referencing his tweets kind of situation. The four pillars of AEW are all fucking vying for, you know, getting some TV time by attaching themselves to MJF because he's the only star out of the group. And meanwhile, you've got the four killers having matches with literal Japanese legendary wrestlers on pay-per-view um, and just fucking killing it. Katsuyori Shibata versus Wheeler Yuta for the pure championship um, here. Um, Quentin, what did you think about this? What did you think about <laughs> pure rules? What did you think about Shibata? winning the title, everything going on here. Um, so I've been waiting to get uh, heel Wheeler Yuta uh, for, a, for, a, for a while now. So I'm glad that this is like a thing, a thing that's finally happening because that's where Wheeler was making his was making his bread and butter once he finally was breaking through with the IWTV title. So I'm glad that we're getting a return to that. And there's like, the, like those of nefariousness and Doing a little cheating, doing like little uh, little cheating heel bullshit. But I love the aggression, for sure. I love the aggression and the nastiness that we're getting that we're getting that we're getting from him here. So I love the uh, I love the pace of this. I love how I love I love the opening mat work and everything. And I liked how it felt like immediately Wheeler knew he was outclassed. So when when he does eventually go to the uh, to the low blow in the in the close fist punch. It felt like a natural conclusion that he came to because he like, oh yeah, I'm like this is fucking Shibata. This is a guy that taught me a lot of the things that I know. This is one of the best, one of the best to ever do it. I'm completely out of my, out of my depth here. I need to do these things or else I'm just gonna get fucking ate up. And he still he did those things and still got ate alive. So I enjoy that. I enjoyed that aspect of it. I feel like Wheeler someone Wheeler someone and he's so valuable too because he can be like your fiery underdog bleeding all over himself baby face or he can be like a shitty sneering smirk on his face heel with a punchable face and you want to see him get his head get see him get his head kicked off and that's the version of wheeler that we got in this match and going up against shibata who is just a treat every time we get to see him wrestle i really accentuated that but i thought this was really fun yeah i uh i agree with everything you were saying there i think my biggest this is another one of my biggest issues is just the the connection and the what's what's PCC, what's AEW, what's ROH of it all, like the the connections between all of it that just made it very confusing to me because it just feels like the absolute wrong time to have Yuta lose the championship in this fashion, in a like you said, getting outclassed way for the pure title. The, and the storyline like in a bubble, the story makes sense in ROH. But then when I like start mixing in the bigger picture, it doesn't make sense. BCC just turned. They're just more vicious. They're just all of that. And then he loses here like this, like just getting outclassed. And like maybe that would be fine. Except for like now my expectation is we go in on Thursday or Wednesday to Dynamite and the rest of the BCC like has to kick this scrub out. Like they can't allow this kind of guy in their ranks. The way that he lost and the way that he looked here is not 
would to me based on the heel version of BCC that we've seen so far, they wouldn't this is unacceptable. Like they embarrassed he embarrassed the group. And then having the post show angle having you to be there with Claudio and Claudio like trusting him and treating him like he's still, you know, part of the group was confusing to me too. It just feels like they the the heel BCC would not, you know, be able to accept this kind of weakness. Um but that said, I mean the match the ROH story, the match in a bubble, all that, it was fantastic. And I thought that they did a great job playing up the, the heel Yuta thing, but like it just in the bigger context becomes confusing. So hopefully, hopefully they make it make sense in some way. Um, Yuta, there was like a big moment where Yuta comes rushing into the corner and uh, it would, it really felt like it would normally be Yuta throwing a big kick or a big strike to the head, but he comes in with a really light kind of back elbow to the side and it was just like, okay, like he's, you know, there's no shots to the head. You're not allowed to take any kind of clean shots to Shibata's head was very noticeable there um, in that moment there. Cause I was wondering what would happen. Um, but other than that, I mean, Shibata wrestled pretty much like Shibata, except for a little bit less intense, a little bit more slowed down and a little bit more playing to the crowd. And it's just, it was interesting to me in the moment to think about the wrestler Shibata, the, you know, black trunks, black boots, no nonsense ass kicker aging and slowing down and turning into a guy who has to work some shtick and has to work some personality. And it's subtle comparatively to a lot of other wrestlers, but it was definitely there. It was like, this is Shibata, you know, playing shtick. And, we talk about it with Suzuki and people get mixed up and they think like, oh, you know, oh, this guy's a shooter and that's it. Like, no, like being like the, the where your gimmick is a good wrestler is a gimmick just as much as any other gimmick. Right. But, you know, even Shibata here is like turning it up and clearly working a little bit more, a little bit more broad than he used to in the past. Um, and that was very interesting. Final thought. I mean, I mean you got to do okay. that. You got to do that when someone takes your brain out and puts it back in. Sure. Of like, course. That's just My necessary. <laughs> I thought this match was awesome. Yeah, I, I, well, feel, I, feel, I feel like enough isn't made of the fact that, like, you know, Shibata's brain was removed from his body, like completely and, separated. Yes, yeah, like just, not just talk about this enough. And they ran it through the, the the dishwasher and then put it back in his head. Yeah, yeah, and he just back out. Like, I, like if, I, I, I don't know, but I feel like somehow this this isn't mentioned nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, I, I I wanted I wanted to talk about sort of like how just Yuta completely understood the assignment, like when people talk about like the quote unquote killers like Garcia and Yuta especially, um, I I'm always blown away by like the sort of level of maturity that they display in their performances, um, like Yuta here, like had no issue that we could see of like he just went in and did it of being completely bitched out like just blown out of the water in every way nothing he did could like land except when he blatantly broke the rules and like shibata shrugged off that low blow pretty quick <laughs> um and it was awesome like i just love that yuda is capable of a performance like this where he's able to like get and project that the dynamic calls for him to just be completely owned and it's the same for Garcia in the match before in like a completely different dynamic where they're able to play off of these different things where they're not necessarily letting themselves be boxed in into these particular labels and they're just 
growing their toolbox uh, based on what the match calls for, which is like just how wrestling should work. Yeah, being very malleable to the moment and making it make sense. And then again, still having the like an intrinsic nature to your character that makes it still feel honest and believable. So very fair. Um, one thought there, it's like, obviously the low blow is not going to be as effective when you've had a long night of chopping, chopping before and your balls are empty. Uh, it's just smaller targets and it's not going to connect as easily. Um, and one thought that has crossed my mind recently. Um, and then this match, I think Shibata in general is a good, uh, a good point to just bring this up. I thought about this and gear, right? And in the history of wrestling, more money has probably been drawn by guys just wearing black tights and black boots than anything else, right? Like just because of like raw numbers oh. and data, but you think about oh, like yeah. Stone Cold. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just even, funny to think about. Even, with all even, the crazy even, gear. Even, even the rock. Yeah. Even the rock was like right. the, like this fits into that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. The rock too. Like the hit in the history of wrestling. Like more money is drawn by guys who just are wearing black trunks, black boots. And like, it's so funny to think like how many people are like, oh, you love the pageantry and all the crazy colors and the loud this and that. But no, like black trunks, black boots, that's what's drawn money historically in wrestling. Just a thought that's crossed my mind recently. Um, that finishes out the ROH show. Um, talk about Bloodsport here for a bit. We unfortunately had a some technical difficulties so we've been going longer um than probably we would like to this i really really enjoyed this blood sport both live and back on tape um i was about a half hour late so i missed the first two fights in person but did go back and watch them later um that said um i know quentin you kind of mentioned didn't have a ton to say um joseph i don't know how much you have to say about everything reviewing shoot fighting stuff is kind of tough right in general we've talked about this enough like me and quentin are we're both fans of this style but it's tough to review it um i think it's pretty unfair and i i don't even want to do this because a you know, friend of the podcast recently messaged me about basically the same idea because i was talking to him and uh and it's just like oh you know these people don't have any fucking concept of what they're talking about but shoot style wrestling like the idea that you're going to give your review on a shoot style show and you can say whatever you want about blood sport if it is or isn't shoot style whatever um like you cannot really review this show when you're also openly saying that you were watching like another show at the same time and probably watching like a ton of baseball like you cannot say like oh i'm giving like an earnest review of this shoot style show but i was not fully paying attention to it because like part of the the thing about shoot style is like it's really detail oriented yeah like you like you have really, to, like like, yeah. like the same thing as a fight like right if you're like what kind of like half watching a fight if you're coming coming back with a breakdown of the fight like you can't really do that like that's why people like have to like watch it attentively the whole time and like write down key and write down key points and things like that because otherwise like if you're if you're just watching it for entertainment then that's one thing but if anyone has to come on here and review a shoot style match, then like, yeah, you kind of have to be like zeroed in the whole time to do that. And when you said baseball, I think that kind of, <laughs> I think that made me know who you're talking about. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, again, I should just let it go, but you know, whatever. Um, either way, uh, opening match, Cobb versus uh, Uh Obviously the card got all switched around. There was a ton of exciting stuff. 
and some of it didn't happen. But then I guess we kind of ended up with a different main event that was maybe in the end kind of more exciting. And I think played into the finish. Either way, Cobb McCoyle, I thought was really good. Um, Cobb always looks great and excels in these sittings. And a big part of it is that just he's just so he's just so special and so unique in the way that he wrestles in a shoot style setting um, because of his background and because of his presence, his charisma, everything about that. Um, and that's why I do find it very stupid to open the show with him, if I'm being perfectly honest. And I think that's part of the problem. Like, I like Josh Barnett, and I actually am one of the people who thinks that Bloodsport is better off because Josh Barnett is, like, in charge of it now or whatever. His ethos is more of the main thing. But there is some of the stuff that I think he overlooks, especially when it comes to something like that. And I think that you want to have a Jeff Cobb match somewhere in the middle of the card to break up the sameness. Um, not to say that that was like a big issue on this show because there was a lot of unique fights, but in general, when I'm putting together a, a, a shoot style show, I'm going to put Jeff Cobb in the middle of the card because you're going to get something more unique out of Jeff Cobb compared to anybody else. Um, if you guys have any thoughts, feel free. Well, I was just going to say that um, I think Jeff Cobb has had like a really like, you know, had like hasn't done a lot in terms of like single stuff, but just every time I've seen Jeff Cobb in New Japan and then the match with Kenny, and then the match with Kenny Omega on Dynamite and here, like, I really enjoyed Jeff Cobb this year. And that's really going back for, like, the last couple of years now where, like, there has been, like, these, this, where, where <laughs> we always have these discussions about Jeff Cobb and the slack and, uh, you know, like, just nothing like uh, our pal James, he's just not seeing it with Jeff Cobb and always, always saying, like, he's more like, uh, like, he's like, you know, he's more like Scott Steiner. If you look at him more like Scott Steiner than Vader, then, like, you're bound to like you're bound you're bound to enjoy him more, and right. now he's kind of has played more of that of that Vader side of things for for the last for the last couple of years, and I think he's off to a, to a really good start this year again. So I enjoyed him. I I, enjoy, I enjoyed him here, uh, and I, I'm going to a point where I just he feels like a guaranteed good match. Where like before, like with Cobb, it was like I feel like it'd be like a lot of like right time, right setting, things like that. But like. I feel like Jeff Cobb has just been so consistently enjoyable for a couple of years now, and just like a guy where I don't know, I, I I'd watch Jeff Cobb versus anybody versus anybody at this point. I feel like he's like earned that from me after like a couple after some time where maybe he might let you down in some cases. I haven't been let down by Jeff Cobb in a while, and he hasn't let me down yet on Bloodsport. So this was really good, and I get your points on maybe having him on something later on in the card as opposed to being an opener. Yeah uh joseph any thoughts i didn't watch this uh, i like jeff cobb i think the last thing i saw him in was the kenny omega uh u.s title match and um i i, per I per personally preferred kenny in that but cobb has been good like he's been like one of the better singles guys in new japan in the last couple of years so yeah and I think that he's a you know a top five Okada opponent really at this point he's getting into that oh conversation. definitely yeah, yeah and he has a, had some great Okada matches. Yeah, and that says a lot for for you know New Japan. When you're a New Japan wrestler, you know being a guy who can have a good match with Okada is a is a a plus in your column. Yeah, um, like that's like that's like a pre that's like really like the determining determining factor in your value. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, Eric Hammer versus Calvin Tankman. I'm honestly higher on T Hammer, I think, than a lot of people. Uh, maybe even Tankman uh, similarly, but uh, but I enjoyed this quite a bit. I thought a good heavyweight fight. I think Hammer actually showed something here, which I think that a lot of people might easily overlook because, you know, oh, this guy's boring. Oh, he only fucking wrestles Josh Barnett shows, blah, blah, blah. But like this was a completely different style of of match for him in that, like most of the time, he's always the dominant overpowering fighter. And here he was 
not just was he outmatched and outsized, but he actually worked to that and told that story in the fight. So I really appreciated like showing some some dynamic and some some extra oomph to him there. Um, and honestly, a guy who could probably get booked around other places more often, but just never will. And, and whatever, that's fine. He doesn't want to. Um, I don't know, Joseph, if you saw this match, if you have any thoughts and Quentin, if you have any thoughts. I did not. All right. Yeah, this was this was fine. I didn't like have a ton have a ton here. I've enjoyed Hammer for the most part in these Bloodsport shows. And I can't remember if this is like any better or worse than the things that the things I've seen him I've seen him in. But this was this was fine. Tankman's always a, always a really fun guy to have on these shows. But I feel like I feel like I feel like I've seen him have better. So this is this was this is our this is all right. Yeah, I can I can't argue with you there. Um. Marina Shafir versus Killer Kelly. Joseph, did you see this one? <laughs> I did. I did actually see right. this one. This was the first was match right. that I was in the building for. What was your thoughts? Yeah. I thought it was all right. Um, I didn't get as much out of it as I think some other people did. Like, people were really into this match in this, the circles I'm in. But yeah, it didn't do much for me personally, but I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was bad or anything. It was just kind of in and out, and I was happy with what was there. I uh I thought Kelly was doing her thing and and I would like to see it's very interesting because it feels like Kelly works more trying to do like shoot styly stuff in pro wrestling matches and then she's trying to bring more character work here um not in a bad way but you know whatever it just it felt like she didn't lean in as much into it um that said I I find it absolutely insufferable to continuously hear people talk about something like this and be like oh why can't we see this marina in AEW blah 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 it's like well, I guess you probably just are, don't watch Dark because this is not that far off from really how Marina looks on Dark. She's a little bit more physical and a little bit more aggressive here for sure. Um, but like the way that she carries herself, the presence, all of that is not necessarily that far off. Um, it just take a little bit more. And then also definitely, and I, this is like for sure, there's just absolutely no point in even saying this. But if you saw the stuff that she did in Revolver, um, which clearly is like regard is like partially has to do with the fact that um, Moxley is booking Revolver somewhat with Sammy or whatever. But if you're seeing the stuff that she's doing in Revolver, it's like almost identical to this. So it's like okay, like she does have this same presence and the same style of wrestling out, not just in Bloodsport. So like when you say like, oh, why can't we get this Bloodsport Marina in anywhere else? It's like ah, uh, I I think you're just like really not paying attention, like. You kind of get the same thing in other settings. You just aren't. You just don't necessarily enjoy it. Um, that's it. I mean, not the the best thing or whatever. Quentin, what are, what are your thoughts? No, this was solid. And always, I always enjoy getting getting to see Killer Kelly. So I thought this was solid, and I think I enjoy Marina more than a lot of, more than a lot of people. So I'm not in whatever camps to think this is like great that Joseph is a frequenting or whatever. But I thought my, uh, this is probably up to this point probably my favorite match that that had been that had gone on. Sure, sure. Yeah, at this point in the card. Um Abushi, Mike Bennett, um Speedball, Mike, like Mike Speedball, Mike Bennett. Bailey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bailey. Jeez, Holy man. shit. At Bloodsport too. Oh, oh God, actually. Speedball um, Mike Bennett at Bloodsport is just <laughs> Holy shit. That's great. Because <laughs> uh, like usually because usually I'll let like those like those like slips of names slide, but <laughs> Speedball right. Mike Bennett, the image I, of I, it. 
I can't. I can't, I just can't let this one happen. I can't. Would he also be barefoot? <laughs> that would rock. Uh, oh man, Mike. Oh man, Mike Bennett in a fucking gi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that's just fucking great. Oh no, that's all. Awesome. <laughs> he looks like he would look oh, like Ryu. Shit. Basically, you guys have enough fans that I need to put it out there in the world that someone needs to send us a Photoshop of this immediately. Oh, <laughs> One of you sickos listening to this podcast <laughs> needs to do that. Oh man, uh, Speedball Mike Bennett. Like, so what would what would what would Taven be dressed up as? Would he dress up? Would he dress up as Mao? <laughs> Maybe it's like no, they'd be, Veda. They'd be Ken and Ryan. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, yo, Matt, Matt Taven is Veda? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then, and then Matt, Matt Taven is conveniently on commentary for every Mike Bennett match. That makes sense. <laughs> we can, we can, that, that can work. What? Okay. So then, actually, so now, yes. Okay. Uh, Bennett is dressed up like Ryu. Uh, Taven is Veda. And then. Um, wait, wait, wait. Is, is Maria. Taven, is, is Taven putting a wig on? Yes. <laughs> Yes. And then Maria Hell is dressed yes. up like Ken. So they're like uh they're the yeah, that's the Oh man, uh, Taven putting Taven putting the wig on it just oh man, it's even better. Yeah. Fuck, this is awesome. I love this. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I mean, so usually I usually I'll let these slide. I just I can't that's that was that was, that was horrendous. That was that was bad. <laughs> you know what fucking got me is that I would normally just call him speedball. I shouldn't have right. even tried to yeah. fucking say Bailey. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> God. Anyway, oh they did a wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, wrestling. Two, two, two pretty good wrestlers wrestled each other. Did they? <laughs> pretty sure. Um, Coda in person. Coda. I mean, obviously, there's a layoff, and he's up close. This and that, but. He's actually finally starting to show some age um, and up close seeing him. I was like, like, that's that's a not a like a child anymore. That's like a, a grown man. Um, so part of it might 40 be 40 year old man. Yeah. Like part of it. Might be what the fuck? <laughs> his hair. Like maybe he didn't do his hair. Maybe he's not wearing makeup. I don't know. He's not as fit as he has been in the past. But but yeah, I was like kind of shocked. I was like, Jesus, this guy is like. Finally, actually looking like not like the same as he's looked for the past thirty years or whatever. Like, yeah, it was that was interesting. So, so, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like, I just went to the Bushy's cage match, and I think I really didn't realize how long it had been since he wrestled. I wasn't was the last one, the G one. Yes, yeah. the fucking G one final from twenty from twenty twenty one. Yeah, with, where he's does he goes for the Phoenix Splash and he fucks up his his elbow or his shoulder. Mm -hmm, yeah, like I yeah. forgot, like I forgot that. It had genuinely been this long since he wrestled, and he also had a twenty-six minute match with Kenta for some reason. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting that that being the block decider huh. during there dur during that year. Yeah, for some that reason, was the had, final the block this. I guess like the block decider. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever, or whatever the fuck. But the the final was Okada. But yeah, then sure, on sure. the but then on the final night of the A block, he has a fourteen. Uh, he, he has a twenty-six minute match with Kenta, and like. Out of curiosity, I want to go back and watch that because I'm like, why did that match happen and go so long? But yeah, yeah. carry on. No Wasn't this like when New Japan cards had like six or five matches? It might they, have been. Yeah, it, 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 so it, 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 it was for sure, but just still. still. <laughs> uh, that was not necessary. Um, I mean, otherwise, this match absolutely ruled. Like, I just thought this was so great. 
uh, Coda coming up with a way to do the the middle rope German, but without the ropes, with no ropes. Yeah. yeah, that was so cool, and just goes to show like how you know interesting and and unique Coda's brain is to come up with something like that in this context, and you know that he's just a wrestling nerd dork kind of guy who's going to like go out of his way to do that. Um, that said, I mean, yeah, the 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 fight back and forth. Uh, the struggle, the way that they kind of told the story between the two um, was interesting because this was a tough one and you could tell it was kind of shaky from the opening seconds because this is something that, you know, we've talked about it in the past, especially with speedball in a shoot style setting is like striking based martial arts do not lend themselves to these matches. And these are two striking based you know, martial arts background guys. So it did become difficult to tell that story. And then they did like settle their way in, but it is tough because you then turn into like, okay, well, what do you do? Cause you guys are not going to exchange holds or throws. Uh, Cause it'll just be kind of out of character and it won't necessarily tell the story that you want to tell. So you end up kind of starting to do stuff that looks more like what you would do in a straight up wrestling match. Um, which I think is good because this is kind of what people would want from these two. So it ended up being perfect and really serving the crowd what they wanted. Um, even if, like I said, in the beginning, it was a little bit shaky, but you end up getting kind of a quick pared down version of what you would get from these two in a regular wrestling match. And, and, and really with Coda, this being his return match, that's kind of what everyone probably wanted was to see Coda Abushi have a wrestling match for the first time in a very long time. Um, it was absolutely incredible and super fun to be in the building for. I, 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 yeah, I would say like from the weekend with everything that happened, the fact that I didn't get any of the big payoffs that I was hoping for in ROH, like this is kind of it. Like getting to see Kota Ibushi return to wrestling for the first time in, in so long is kind of like my big takeaway from the weekend as something that I can say like I was there for that or whatever, you know? Um, loved the finish, the the slick knockout for the Kamagoye I think was great. Uh, but yeah, Quentin, did you have any thoughts on the match or anything to, to add and, and Joseph you as well. Yeah. Mike Bennett is really good in these settings. So didn't really, didn't surprise me to see him. Uh, no, uh, speedball's great here. And every time we see him, whether it's uh, ambition or stuff like that, like he always is really good. The matchup is a little weird. Like you said, because it is two strike based guys. And usually what makes like matchup like this work is the kind of contrasting style. So having like speedball, who's a striker versus someone who has like a, grappling or jujitsu background whether that be wrestling or uh something like that so they go to like to do for more like taekwondo versus 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 karate was uh is is a choice is a choice there but i thought i thought that still made for like a really good match and like because of that it has more like fireworks and things like that than like the you than like the usual blood sport stuff does because like you're getting all like a more like high octane leg kicks things like that that you're not like really getting a ton of in uh in a lot of uh, uh, style adjacent stuff. So I, I had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, I thought this was great. Um, real condensed. Uh, pl- get all the big bombs that you want in there, uh, at least in this abridged sort of setting. I thought that all the setups for those particular spots were really great too. You already mentioned the deadlift German into the ring. Um, but yeah, I thought they did great. Like even the sort of mat work stuff they did on the ground looked a lot better than a lot of the stuff I associate uh, Ibushi doing on the mat otherwise. So, and yeah, this didn't go long. Uh, it hit all the right notes, and I thought it was great. 
Yeah. Um, after already fucking up uh, <laughs> the Mike Bennett thing, I was going to I was I was planning to do a joke about Eric Paulson and being like, uh, you know, people say they don't know who this guy is, but his you know son was on WrestleMania, um, you know, with the, the Logan Paul thing. But um, I did uh, when like I know that me and you are dorks or whatever. And Joseph, I don't even really know how much of your MMA background is, but like people who are like really, really disrespectful about this thing with Eric Paulson just I feel like really fucking crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying like, you know, all time legend, but a very respected name in the history of MMA. It seems very odd to me for people to be like, nobody knows who this guy is and nobody cares. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I think that we have, like, you have to be like a little in the weeds to know who, to, to know, to know who Eric Paulson is. So like, I understand the initial reaction of doing some of doing something like that, but like, but then like once you're explained like who he is and his significance and like what he's accomplished and who he trains with and things like that, then like I feel like your tone should then change pretty quickly. I get it. Like it's a little like maybe a little inside baseball and Barnett bringing in bringing in someone that doesn't have a lot of a lot of a lot of cachet to their name. So I get that on some level, but like once you're told who he is. In what in what he's done, then I feel like that stuff like you'll keep like okay, cool, that's what he is. All right, I'll I'll shut up now. Yeah, and the connection to wrestling is there also, you know, mm-hmm. with like the judo gene and then the Minnesota crew, like the connection through all of that. So it's just like you know, this is a guy who is like known, right in in the wrestling circles. Like you know, I mean, the Minnesota thing is like a direct lineage to Brock. I already talked about him close like recently, but like you know, if people don't realize that like. Brock Lesnar, the big badass that everyone loves from WWE, he's connected to the the Minnesota crew that is connected through to like the history of MMA. Like, you know, it's kind of part of part of wrestling and MMA history. It's like, yeah, whatever. Again, ah, no point. There's no point in in, in like uh, you know, picking that apart because people are just gonna be stupid. Um Joseph. I don't know if you have any thoughts there or anything. I don't know any MMA history, like, sure. outside of, like, a couple of videos. So I, I just sort of tuned out. Like, I didn't mind that it was happening. Uh, this was one where I was just sort of like, I will defer to people who know better. Oh, no. I think we just lost Quentin again. But anyways, we will soldier on because because that's just what we do. Um, Followed this up. Bad Dutito, Yu Yu Yamura. Uh, this was a unique... An interesting, um, like, situation because I just was not sure what the dynamic would be between these two in the hierarchy of New Japan because they're both New Japan wrestlers. But Tito has been presented, you know, I mean, it's a weird thing about New Japan and, and Japanese wrestling in general. Sometimes we're like a gaijin who's not necessarily um, much higher or should be considered much higher on the pecking order than a young lion or young lion adjacent kind of wrestler will be treated as higher in the in the pecking order in the in the the hierarchy of things um comparatively and that was kind of what ended up happening here which was not what i would have predicted that said i mean the matchup itself was really good and tito i thought really showed out here and looked fantastic as the power man um yuya obviously is a great uh a great um like seller bumper fiery baby face from underneath kind of guy so he really accentuated that and made it look good but joseph did you have any thoughts on this yeah i actually stuck around to watch this one um i thought it was really good like i it was one of the better matches from the night as far as i was concerned uh i really liked how slick 
everything looked in the ring. Like, uh, you see how sort of bad dude Tito is kind of built and you don't sort of expect him to move like that uh, when he's doing like more of a shoot style uh, bout or presentation like this. But yeah, I thought this was really, really good. Yeah, I yes, yes, agree. Um, moving forward, Harry Smith, J.R. Kratos, um, two bulls chopping it up here. This is the kind of the... And it's funny because it's just like a, a power matchup and then a power matchup. But I'm saying like, oh, this is where I would like throw Cobb in here to mix things up a little bit more, right? Because you'd at least get something more unique, um, even though it's like still another power guy. There's just something about Cobb that I think he really stands out even comparatively. Um, but that said, um, I really like the dynamic and the story that they told here. I thought that a big part of this was like learned psychology, especially like if you've been paying attention. I think it's very easy to write this off. But if you've been, you know, closely watching the way that these two have been build, built in Bloodsport canon against each other or in general and then coming here against each other, you got a lot of like subverting the expectations story, especially I think the biggest like focal point of this concept of what I'm talking about would be um, when Davy Boy Smith hits the power bomb on Kratos eventually, finally after building towards it. Um any other time that Davy Boy has hit a power bomb in the Bloodsport context, it's been the end of the match. He's knocked the guy out. Um, and here he hits the power bomb, but Kratos is clearly still in it and rolls to his belly and, and shows that he's still in the fight. And you could see that Davy Boy did not expect that. Um, and that's why I say, like, this is this is where you have to pay attention and you can't just be, you know, helicoptering in watching like a little bit and not really telling what's going on. You're not going to get the full experience of the storytelling and that's nerdy and pointless and like not, you know, how wrestling works anymore. And you're supposed to be able to just watch a match randomly and get it right. Like that's the, that's the way wrestling works now. But unfortunately like <laughs> blood sport is its own thing. And, and I really love it for that. And that's why I'm like really invested in it. Um, but that said, like, of course, Davy boy's going to win. Cause you know, uh barnett really protects him and as his guy and in a lot of ways it makes perfect sense um but uh yeah joseph what did you think of uh what did you think of this one i thought nothing i didn't see it <laughs> oh no okay yeah okay. I, I i skipped a lot of the matches after sure, sure. the yuya and Cra uh sorry big bad tito one so yeah well i won't tell you to go back and watch that one but i will tell you to go back and watch this next one if you didn't um, oh my god is this johnny Bloodsport? yes Royce Isaacs, friend of the podcast. Unfortunately, I know I get it. Maybe I'm I'm co-opted or whatever, but no, like <laughs> I've had I've heard from other people, unbiased sources, who also appreciated how good this match was. Um, it's not just me. Like Johnny Bloodsport is he is what it is. And I think that, like, you know, I think he's got something there, but he's not necessarily perfect for this setting. But Royce Isaacs, again, like you know, people can be like, again, like think like, oh, you know, you're just you're friends with this guy. That's why whatever. I mean, I'm not really friends with him. I'm a fan of his. And that's why I like force him to deal with me. Right. Um, And like, I just think that Royce is very good at this style of matchup and his background in, you know, amateur wrestling and being a big fan of this stuff. And having a good mind for it. And then also, you know, being a natural, athletic, very athletic guy plays into this and he did a really good job here like kind of grounding Johnny Bloodsport and making him do stuff that made sense in the context everything he did looked great he hits a 
a pile driver in this match, a shoot style pile driver that looked absolutely crazy. Nothing he does looks like fucking weak. Like a lot of people are go for strikes, go for go ground and pound and stuff. And it looks like, you know, they're going half measures. Not like Royce looks like he's really going at it. And Bloodsport is giving it. He's giving it back and he's taking it. The transitions are, are they're not like incredibly smooth, but they're incredibly real. Stuff looks raw and, and stuff looks real. Looks like they're going for grabbing whatever they can get a, a hold of. Like this is a really good matchup. And like I said, like this is not oh, you know, me and Royce are friendly, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like, I, this is just good. This was good action. This was, like, a really good uh, shoot-style fight between two guys who have legitimate backgrounds, and they show it off here. And basically, I think that they they probably just went in here and, like, we're doing, like, 75 to 80% going at it. They were not holding back, which I think is what makes this stuff work, is you don't have people who are in there who are afraid to actually, you know, bring it. Like that's when it really looks the best. You know, did you ever see the Makabe versus Artemis Spencer match? I'm I'm almost certain I did. I, yeah, I'm sure you did as well. And like a big part of why that looks so good is those guys are so comfortable with each other because they actually train jujitsu with each other that like they're gonna go out there and they're gonna really like bring it at like 75, 80% and not, you know, be holding back. And that's what makes it work. And it felt like that was what was going on here. Um did you watch anything else on the show? I watched the top two matches, so okay, the main that's event what's left. and Mox, yep. Yeah, Mox and Coglin. I've already kind of gone on record somewhat, I feel like, about how much I loved this. I thought it was great. What did you think? I didn't like this as much as I was expecting to, but I thought it was really good. Um, Mox is just, like, we that is covered ground at this point. Like, we know how amazing the guy is. I like... Uh, Coughlin, I like what he's able to do in the ring. Like the power stuff is so impressive. Uh, I wish there was like a little more uh, fire behind some of the strike exchanges they did. I thought that was sort of like what kept me from thinking this was great. Uh, but like at the end, when Mox is just able to like cinch him up down on the mat, uh, I thought that was a really good finish for it too. So yeah, really good yeah. match. Yeah, and that's exactly kind of what I was talking about there with like holding back a little bit and and the the striking striking tends to end up being the stuff that looks the the least impressive in these settings when the people are not comfortable with each other. You know, they don't want to fire those like, you know, semi semi live rounds because you don't want to piss somebody off or you don't want to, you know, disrespect your elder or whatever. Like that's that can kind of happen in these settings. That's why that's really why like Pancrase, UWFI battle arts that's why the like the shoot style promotions that truly existed and had a roster that was familiar with each other works worked so much better than right. kind of what we get now where you just end up with like random people who do these shoot style shows every now and again uh the difference is, is those people are training with each other and they're so much more familiar with each other you know they like they're comfortable knowing that they're not going to piss somebody off by taking it a little bit too far um and unfortunately that's what you get here but but yeah, the the Coglin like when he muscles him up from the bulldog choke and almost gets him up into the torture rack. That spot was fucking insane. Like just the power lifting him up in that way, and he does it multiple times. Obviously, power lifting Moxley off the mat into the into the air. The the kind of pop up, um, uh, riding bomb, uh, sky high power bomb spot was fucking nuts. Um, yeah, this was just. This was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say like 
you know, when it's Moxley. So <laughs> it's a really high bar to compare this to like the best of the best Moxley stuff. And and Coglin is what Coglin is, but this is one of the better Coglin performances I've seen in a long time, really. Um Probably since like the Gresham match from Strong that I really liked. I thought that was the best yes, 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 Coglin yes. performance that I've seen. Well, now I'm trying to think because there I'm trying to think if there was a Coglin Barnett match, but I don't think so. Uh, I, know I think you might be thinking of strong. like, oh, actually, I think he did wrestle Barnett and yeah. I thought he was good in that as well. Yeah, that was good. But that might have been before. Um, but either way, yeah, um, on the same page there uh, for the most part. Main event, Thatcher Barnett. This is I mentioned this earlier about how the card got switched around and we ended up with something different. And I think that this was it. I think that partially, I don't think that, you know, with the original matchups that Barnett would have would have lost this match. Um, and I think that we did get something unique and special in the moment, especially in the building because of that. Um, I do think that it comes across on tape, but it's I don't know if it was quite the same. You can tell me what you think. Um, but yeah, like Thatcher here and his history in Bloodsport, the history between these two and the idea that like Thatcher wins this match and we end up with like Barnett the first time ever losing at Bloodsport um, really does feel like, you know, something special. Right. Um, and I think that, yeah, that came from the card getting switched around, the matchups getting switched around and it just not really making sense for, or I guess I wouldn't even say that it doesn't make sense, but I think that Barnett was smart enough to realize that you needed to do something special. Um, right. Th that said, like the matchup itself was, I mean, this is the pinnacle of what you want. I talked about people being comfortable. Like this is about as comfortable as you get. These guys are given 90, 95 to 100%. You know, everything is snug. This is a real fight. The only difference is, you know, that you're not, uh, you're not actually trying to win. You know, that's like, realistically, when it comes down to it, that's the only difference. Everything else is about as tight as it can be in there. Everything else is about as snug as it can be in there. You know, you're not just blasting a guy in the chin full force, but you're also Absolutely. like, yeah. And feel free, you know, Joseph, give me no, yeah. I, I love this match. I thought it was really great. Easily the best match on the card for me. Um, for all those reasons that you mentioned, it's so gritty. And uh, we've talked at length about how Thatcher is able to match that with an expressiveness and a charisma that really puts across sort of the stakes of this kind of setting. I thought this was great. Um, I loved Thatcher getting the victory, of course. It really did feel like a feel-good moment. Um, yeah, I thought this was definitely one of the better Mania weekend matches so far and like probably only behind uh, Eddie Claudio for me. Yeah, I think it'll be tough. I mean, last year, Mox and Biff ended up being my match of the year and my match of the weekend for a very long time. Sure. Um, Bloodsport speaks to me. You know, this is historically anyone who knows me knows that this is my, you know, this is my thing. I was losing my mind and just like absolutely incredibly happy to be in the building for this. Like, um, it just feels special. And it's, it's really what I want out of wrestling. It's, it's that hybrid shoot. It's that, you know, giving you that realness, all the stuff you just mentioned there. And, and again, like not just that and not just, you know, I talked about it. I talked about J.R. Kratos and 
and Harry Smith and how there's like a specialness <laughs> to the built up storyline, right? Like, and For that's sure. just like whatever. This is huge. This yes. is the man of the thing losing to, I mean, the closest thing he has to a, a second, the closest thing he has to a number two, right? Um, so yeah, big, big night for me, especially following this up. I went to the DDT show afterwards and seeing Eddie with Jun Akiyama, that was very special as well. So special, special night for sure. But this was definitely uh, the highlight. It was the first show I went to for WrestleMania weekend. Really the first time I've ever gone to wrestling shows at a WrestleMania weekend, which is kind of crazy to think about. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I've never gone to any like, oh, WrestleMania weekend shows, whatever, like, but it's funny because it was the first one. It was the first thing and it was probably the best and it was the most special and everything. Everything else I went after went to afterwards was kind of going to be a letdown, unfortunately. But it was sure. well worth it because of just how much uh, how much I, I enjoyed it, how much I loved it. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, well, unfortunately, we lost Quentin. He would probably tell people to, you know, give us money at, at our Ko-Fi for uh, for we don't know wrestling so that we could fund me going to more WrestleMania weekends or something in the future. Probably not. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Send the guys money. <laughs> yeah. Send over some, something so we can, uh, basically at this point, I think we just want to pay the fucking bills to keep this podcast network going. Um, but Joseph, obviously you don't need to plug anything cause you're, you know, top of the world, greatest of all time. No, I mean, really like, <laughs> It really no, I mean it. It really is like I'm. I'm always just so happy for you. How well Thank you're you. doing. I I I told you. Oh, you know it's perfect. We're going to record on the weekend, so like we can work around your schedule and make this happen. But part of it was I was like, Jesus Christ, he just did this ROH video. He's going to be too popular, <laughs> and he's never going to talk to me again. This is my last not. chance to get him on. I know, I know. We'll always but have to- time for this sicko podcast that helped turn me into a sicko. Yes, please, please. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, anything else? Anything you want to plug to the few people here who may have never heard? It's not fucking possible, but maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if maybe. you're listening to this, you're probably probably uh, subscribed. It's Joseph Montesilio on YouTube. It's at Joseph Weirdness on Twitter. Uh, there you go. That's about it. Uh, subscribe to Big Egg. We always would oh, like yes. more subscribers over there. We did a Shimmer Month, um, so we're very proud of that. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I don't know. I I don't know if you listen to this, but I was on um uh, this other like politics podcast. It's called Heat Death of the Universe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they like they do like politics and talk about like uh, you know bullshit, whatever. And they're like, "Oh, do you have anything to plug?" And I plugged I plugged Big Egg and I plugged you. Like that was my plug. Like you know, I <laughs> I always try to push you. for you guys, man. Of course, but I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have another uh, guest spot on a. Uh, a podcast that's kind of popular coming up here eventually. I'll, I'm I'm gonna do the same thing. So thanks for God reminding bless. me. Hell yeah. <laughs> Either way, you know, listen listen to the other podcasts on this network. There should be a talk attorneys coming up soon, I would guess, because it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. So. Did they announce which it was? I know what it is, but I was wondering, oh, do, do people know? No, I don't even know. Um, oh, it's so. it's a rough one. <laughs> that's all I'll all say right. is it's a rough okay. one. Okay. All right. Um, either way, yeah, obviously check out Joseph, uh, come back next week, maybe? I think so. We'll have tons of stuff to talk about, because there's a bunch of WrestleMania shows to watch, um, including this DPW cage match that I'm gonna watch as soon as we stop recording. I'm real Um, psyched for that, yeah. Alright, uh, goodbye!